1: And this is Kim with Black Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And, again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We thank you guys for your patience. Yesterday, I have no explanations, just technical difficulties, and so I apologize for that. So we're going to try to make it up today and um talking about some of the things that we had only touched on yesterday. But um again, I you know Hi Raina. How are you?
2: I'm okay, how are you?
1: I'm good, I'm good. I didn't want to go further without introducing you and letting everybody know that Raina is on the line. And so yesterday was the one year anniversary of the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the assassination of Michael Brown. And so they commemorated, you know, the people in Ferguson and the protests. And so overnight, there were some incidents. And so just waiting for more information to come in to see, you know, what's happening there. But regardless, you know, that incident in and of itself, and I'm talking about a year ago, is what has really truly sparked national and international protests against um, anti-blackness, against white supremacy, and a number of other things, you know, systemic inequality, wealth inequality, so many different names and categories that fall under that particular umbrella, and so, again, I you know, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that it was the one-year anniversary. And in addition to that, you know, I've actually been kind of skirting the issue with um, what happened in Seattle at the Bernie Sanders rally. And so there have been some stories coming out. But what it all boils down to is the two women that, well, it was more than two, but you only saw two or three on the stage. But the women, or the people who were there that interrupted the rally, they aren't... That was not an official Black Lives Matter um, um, incident, if you will, or, or activity. And basically, what that... There was a press release as well as a statement. And then they had a hashtag, you know, for Bernie. And, again, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, national, they talked about it. They put it down. Um, I reposted something for Patrice Colors on my page because that's not an authorized Facebook page. And Black Lives Matter does not stand behind those people. It's an outside group. And so there are, you know, if you go and you look up Black Lives Matter Seattle, you'll see a number of articles, but it was one written specifically, you know, on Salon. Let's see here. I'll give you the title for it. Go to the top of the page. Oh, this is Daily Coast. I'm sorry. And it says, Seattle Black Lives Movement protest was not Black Lives Movement, sort of. So you need to read that so you can get a better understanding, but, you know, the people that were there, that disrupted that rally, they're part of a group called Outside Outside Agitators 206. So, you know, we need to kind of put things in its, you know, par- proper perspective, um, you know, so I mean, the thing is, is that the way that I'm looking at this is that the the media automatically labeled this a Black Lives Matter protest, and that's you know going to be an issue because you know whenever they see any people of color, namely black people, and protesting, they're automatically going to start labeling it Black Lives Matter. So. We have to be cognizant of that, and we have to hold the media accountable for, you know, making assumptions such as that, but it's it's a lot more to it, and, you know, I really don't want to get too deep into it. However, you know, I've been seeing the reactions of a number of Bernie supporters, you know, around the country, you know, on Facebook and, you know, Twitter and a number of other places, and basically... Again, hypothetically, if Black Lives Matter decided to do another protest, whether they protested Ben Carson or Donald Trump or, you know, Hillary Clinton, or even, you know, Bernie Sanders again, there are going to be things that transpire that will not cleave white people because they feel that things should be done a certain way. And, you know, I'm basically here to tell you that we've tried to do it your way. It does not work. And there are going to be times in which, you know, some of the protests, some of the actions are not going to be to your liking. But the thing is, is that, you know, while we live here, you know, I'm just talking about The the Americans here. You know, while we both live in the United States of America, it's two different Americas that we're living in. And what I mean by that is that you don't understand our world. And you don't try to understand our reality. But you try to force us to live in your reality and see things your way as you ignore you know, a lot of the white supremacy and a lot of the white privilege and the double standards and a number of things. And this is, you know, where many of the major clashes are coming from, because we're living in two different worlds here. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to embrace more communication, more understanding. But again, Einstein said, doing the same things over and over and expecting, you know, different results is insanity.
2: So we've been trying to do it your way. It
1: has not been working. We are in much worse condition. And I also
2: would like to remind you, I would also Mm -hmm. like to remind uh, the listener that um, the direct action, you know, peaceful protests that Martin Luther King engaged in were also frowned upon by many, you know, in society at large and even people who were within the movement because they didn't believe in, Sort of um, confrontational, you know, non-confrontational, you know, sort of um, actions. So they were they were being peaceful, but some people didn't like the idea
1: uh-huh.
2: of shutting down, of shutting down the city, or shutting down a block, or you know, keeping or having the streets clogged. You know what I mean? With people walking down the street, you know. So just something to keep exactly. in mind. It does. It, it just points to. It just shows me that it's not really the methods that people are really disagreeing with, they just don't believe in the cause.
1: Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And the telephone number here is 310-982-4273. And again, that's 310-982-4273. Press 1 to speak to the host. And we already have a call. Let's let's bring them into the conversation here. Uh Uh-oh. Maryland, are you
0: there? <laughs> yes. Uh this is uh I don't know, I hear some familiar voices, but this is a uh, Ty from what from from the Maryland DC area.
2: Hi,
0: how are you? <laughs> Hello. Um I didn't know if I heard some familiar voices there, but um you know I hate to say it, but um I don't I don't really like a lot of the methods that we're using right now. I understand them completely. Uh huh. I completely understand him. Um, But a lot of times you hear people, they'll talk about Martin Luther King. And, and I asked myself, I said, do they, do I, I, I wonder, do they ever think about what the actual status was then and now? See, it's, it's comparable to now, but it's not equal to what's going on now. It's comparable. You can find similarities in what went on then and now, but the reason why it's not equal is because we're in a different position. We're in the same type of circumstances, but different position. The board has changed a little bit. It's just a little bit um, less illuminated. So, what you understand is that a lot of people, Martin Luther King didn't want to, a lot of people said, oh, he just wanted to be peaceful. He was a pacifist. He was like, okay that was a strategy at that time. You've been saying where TV was at that time. This was about, we tried everything else before. We had deacons packing pistols and all this stuff, but you had genocide, community-wide genocide. You had, the there was no law that really honored you as a person to be basically equivalent or equivalent to the civility of a white person. There was no such thing there, no line. So when we talk about integration, it wasn't about Oh, Let's get with the white folks and be like them. It was about the fact that they decided to say separate but equal But they were deciding what was equal and so the only way to get civil law in place To say that we're getting treated like humans is we had to put us on par with you And say okay compared to how you treat yourself. How do you treat us? So that's what that was about was about optics and we as a nation at that time We were trying to pass all kind of policies. We were doing things overseas where people were watching so The the, the, the peaceful protest thing at the time was just used as a shock value was to get the world involved in how they look at our policy here in the United States. Now, having said all of that long-winded thing, (laughs) I understand what I said, you know, protesting and doing all these different things, but we're not in the exact same position now that we were then. We don't need all of the same methods, although a protest is great to bring national attention to something, but now you got all the kids out there with their pants hanging down their butt throwing rocks and doing all this other crazy crap when there's so many other ways that you can cripple this society. So many other ways you can cripple it. While you're in a position, where well, you're not in the best position, in a position where you are kind of included, the illus- you call the illusion of inclusion, you need to use that. But instead, what we want to do is we want to go out there, uh, take pop shots at the police, throw rocks at people, and creating something called Black Lives Matter, I understood the goodwill of it. But if we learn anything from Cointelpro Pro, or anything else, anytime you create a label for something and you say this is what it's going to be and you put it out there in their face, it can easily be used against you. You know, as a community, you know, why not stop buying internationally traded goods? I didn't say stop buying goods. You need to buy goods. It's impossible to live in this country without going to the store and buying stuff. But you understand how macroeconomics works. You can bring things locally down cheaper by stop buying internationally traded goods. I'm not saying that that's a direct plan. I'm just saying there's all kinds of things you can do to hurt the fat cats now because they're living off you. You're ba- they're basically siphoning all their wealth off of the poor communities, for example. And, and I'll be brief with this one.
1: Uh Look at all your
0: uh, clothing designers and your your people who make these handbags and stuff. I'm not saying that they're directly to blame, but they make a certain amount of these bags to sell at a profit. They know they're not going to keep all these bags on the shelves of rich communities in their stores. At some point, the shelf life is going to hit, and they're going to have to send these to liquidation, which means they come to the wholesale racks in black communities. You know, 40 weeks. Of a strike on a certain beer company, on a certain handbag, will cause all kind of policy to be made because people want you to spend. But it's not just the economic spending. What about your infrastructural revolution? Everybody ever thought about how to get away from Comcast or get away from Verizon Sprint? Of course, those phone companies understand people are doing that now. That's why they're taking away the contracts and letting people go contract free. So you definitely can because the whole country is powering itself off the backs of poor people. And we don't we're not we're
1: not. Oh, yeah. But, you know, what I want to chime in and say is that, you know, so many different directions to go with that. And one of the things that I've talked about um, in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and like I said, the protests, the rallies, all of those are needed because sometimes, you know, for some people, You know, that's what motivates them, but also to show the families, you know, that are victims of, you know, state violence, you know, to let them know that they're not alone out here and that there are people behind them. But, you know, what you're talking about is group economics, and um, there are some parts of that I, you know, agree with, because if you stop spending money, it will bring this economy to its knees and it will get people's attention. And so, you know, one of the things that I've talked about um, is that what we're doing now is more reactionary, but the unfortunate part of it is that we're still feeding into the white supremacist capitalist system. You know, when we have to, you know, build people out of jail um, and just all the other little issues that are happening, we're still supporting that particular system. However, we have to get people's attention. And this is what they're out there doing. And so earlier, when you were talking about um, some of the young people, you know, with their pants hanging low or whatever, you know, that's not my fashion style, but if that's what they want to wear, that's fine. And we're going to have to move away from the responsibility, I'm sorry, the respectability politics. And so, you know, because... You know, we need to let people be people. And see, the thing is, you're talking about the kids throwing rocks, and the first thing that popped into my head was the protests that they had in Baltimore. And see, people don't know the whole story. And the whole story was they shut down, you know, the transportation, and the kids were at school, and they walked out of the school, and there were all of these police officers. And there was no way for these kids to get home. And then you Mm had the white Party goers out there, you know the you know the um, people they were going to the baseball game or something over there, and they were
2: antagonizing,
1: you know, the young black folks, and so well, they were that was a them. different
2: that was a different that was a different process. That was a different. Those were two different different circumstances, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, but there, yeah was, that that was there was that there was one incident. Yeah, there was one incident that was going on downtown. Uh, that right. on a different day where they were antagonized, and then there was the the day of the quote unquote uprising that occurred. Right. That was when they had shut down the transportation over at Madameon Mall in you know in West Baltimore, and the kids had come out of Frederick uh, Frederick Douglass High School, and they're coming over to the mall where they catch their buses or where they hang out at the mall until they go home, and they were not allowed to enter the mall and they weren't allowed to get on their buses, and the trains were closed down, and there's basically no way of really getting anywhere um, in the city unless you catch your bus or train from that hub because most of those buses um, that are on that side of town that, that, that um, don't just end their stops at the mall, they all stay over in that side of town for the most part. The rest of them, they only have that one stop before they go the other direction.
1: Right. And so we have to take those situations into consideration because again, you know, but you also have people just like you you talked about Cornel Pro. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why when that incident first happened most recently at the Bernie Sanders rally, you know, I threw up the yellow caution flag because, you know, I needed more information about what was happening there. And that's something that we have to pay attention to. That is something because they will have provocateurs infiltrating, you know, these different um, movements, these different organizations, or what have you, in order to shut it down. And, you know, what was happening over the weekend is that, you know, you had people out here telling white progressive liberals not to donate to Black Lives Matter because of, you know, the way that Bernie Sanders was shut down. But again, you know,
2: I would be remiss if I don't
1: state it again.
2: We we just, just demonstrate further that those white people are not actually progressive, because if they had any idea of why there are black people who are critical of Bernie Sanders, then they, might, then they might actually side with us because what we're right. saying is, is that he doesn't go far, far enough just like Hillary Clinton doesn't go far enough right? Exactly. Just, like, just like a lot of black people who were involved in the, in the communist movement in the 1920s found that right. the communist movement wasn't really interested in, um, in aligning itself too much with black causes because it would right. damage them with white racists
1: Exactly, you know? and that's why Hubert Henry Harrison distanced himself from the Communist Party. I love that man. I talk about him whenever I can. But um, <laughs> you know, the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, is that you know we have to look at this, and you know, like we said, the old methods that you know we want to utilize – for the most part, they don't. It doesn't have the same effect. So I agree with you, you know, about that. And that's why I say we need to find different methods out here to get people's attention. I posted an article from The Hill a day or two ago, and it was talking about Black Lives Matter having a political action committee, a PAC. That is something that I have been saying for many, many years. I'm talking a couple of decades. I've been saying that we needed a new phase of the civil rights movement and we need political power. And so, you know, there are different ways in which we can take this and, you know, I'm sure black lives matter nationals. Um, they're looking at some things, but we kind of have to be careful on here and, you know, again, hold the media accountable because again, you know, they're not here for us. The media, I mean, we have to force them to cover these issues and these activities and what was happening, when when all of that went down in Ferguson initially, they shut everything down, landlines, cell phone lines, all internet access, and then they also restricted the airspace. So a lot of this is being done on purpose, and so that's why yesterday when I started the show, I was talking about the um, technology, Stingray, and this, this is how they're intercepting calls, listening to calls intercepting text messages, intercepting voicemails, and all of that. So it's a little bit different. The technology is much more sophisticated because they have access to things that, you know, the average American person doesn't even know exists as far as, you know, them being able to monitor and and all of that. But, yeah, you know, we're living in a different time. But, unfortunately, where we are now in America, we are worse off than what they were in the 50s and the 60s. You know, the little wealth that we built up was snatched from us with this mortgage bubble because, you know, black folks, you know, they like some real estate, right? And so, you know, a lot of that was, you know, taken away. And so, I mean, at this point, it's it's a blank page and we're trying to figure it out, trying to put things down and the difference, you know, when I say put things down, you know, try to strategize. And the difference between the 50s and 60s, black power movement, civil rights movement, and today, is that that original movement in the 50s and 60s was more elitist. Whereas today, you have younger people out here protesting, and, but they have not necessarily benefited from a lot of the educational opportunities that the ones in the 50s and 60s had, because those opportunities are not available anymore.
0: Well, I'll say this much. Um, you, I agree with you on that part because you're right in a way, um, but it's, we, it, it's it's so warped to me, and I'll tell you why it's warped to me. Uh-huh. We have more access of information now than at any other time. Um, we have access to so much information. Now, granted, the inclination to, to push yourselves towards certain disciplines, to learn certain things is not as strong because we don't have the social stability that we had in the 50s. But Uh do you remember what happened in South Africa? You remember with the apartheid in South Africa, which was the birth of the Black Conscious Movement? Uh At the beginning, you had the elders and they tried to govern and it didn't work. You know, at a certain point, they had to erect an army to fight the white South Africans to gain some Uh back at some point, plans back. Now they were decimated at a certain point. But then the youth stood up and said, we're going to practice resistance. And that's when they did the Black Conscious Movement. And we, we, all lands were being you know, ruled over. We don't want it. We're just going to resist on every hand and make ourselves so ungovernable that they won't want to have anything to do with us. So they pushed the Black Conscious Movement. like, push anything European or Eurocentric out. We don't want it. We don't care. We're going to do this. So they did that for a while, and they instituted what we have over here we now call Pro. They instituted a similar thing before Pro was even a thing here. They instituted it over there to tear down that movement. And in the process of that, there was a lot of atrocities, a lot of people being thrown off buildings and they said, oh, they committed suicide did all that good little stuff. But eventually, after all the killing, the white folks came to the table in South Africa and they said, listen, we're with you, you know, we want to stop all this killing too. Let's sit down at a table and do governance. Well, none of the youth knew how to govern but they were at a cer- certain disadvantage where so many of them have been killed and they've been hurt and they've been cut off from resources. They had to have somebody to sit at the table. So in comes the elders to come sit at the table and negotiate a deal. Now, fast forward to make all, all this story short, they allowed them a place in the government and they created opportunities for them to have their own lands outside of Cape Town, outside of all these places. And so now black people have government, but they don't have any resources. So what happens? First, they didn't have any guns, hardly. They had to get it from whatever loyal, white, liberal people they could get to fight in the first place, but they had no weapons. Now, for every 100 people in South Africa, over 30, 20 to 30% of the population have guns. Guns, 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 all over the black part of South Africa and crime. Guns and crime and not enough education. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that the board changes, the chess board changes according to who was running it in the first place. And we're playing the same old game. go, oh, we want to go out in the streets. We're mad because this happened. So I'm not saying that everybody does that, but all of a sudden a fire breaks out in a building that's worth $5 million burns down. And the city says, oh, the fire, all this action caused about $20 million in damage. I think they said in Baltimore, was it $25 million or $30 million in damage? I don't believe that. Well, you know, right. completely. And I don't think the black people burned down that, that senior home. But it doesn't matter because that was a wonderful opportunity for them to say, let's tear down this structure. Now our city's bond rating is in a toilet, which means now we're attractive to outside investors with higher interest rates. We can build a prison within the next four years to supplement that cost and make out like bandits. And you know what?
1: And, and that's true. And and this is one of the things that we've talked about on the show in regards to, you know, the prison industrial complex is that it's nothing but, you know, modern day plantation slavery. And they have some of these people, you know, it's like this, the white people or the investors, if you will, they win regardless because when they take those contracts with the state. It doesn't matter if there's only one bed filled or all of the beds are filled. They still get paid. So what happens is that it <laughs> basically it becomes the state's incentive to go out there and to arrest as many people as possible. And, and, I mean, and I understand where you're going with this, and, you know, I agree, because there aren't enough economic and educational opportunities out here, but by there not being as many opportunities, that's what, that's, part of the, that's one of the factors in this equation why we have the problems that we have. And uh, so I say group economics, you know, I definitely believe in, you know, cooperatives, if we could start something like that and start working together. But, you know, again, with people in this country, the only thing that really matters to them is green. And if we can affect their money, then that makes a big difference. And then, you know, one of the things that I tell people is that we have to be able to think globally. We can't, you know, when all politics is local. When I tell people to vote, you know, the main thing you want to know is who's is going to be your mayor or your alderman, you know, your state legislators, all of those people. But, I mean, it's, it's so many different factors in this equation. And you're right. You know, they'll build a prison before they'll build a new school. They'd rather pay all of that money to to house a prisoner Than to give them that money so that they can go to college or finish high school or go to a trade school. Yeah. And then some of those same, you know, uh, companies are on, you know, on the market, they're being traded. So basically they're gambling against, you know, a person's life. And because they've studied us to the point of, you know, they know pretty much every move that we're going to make, they know the number of people that are going to end up in prison and they created the system. And, you know, as they say, how can we expect the system that was never there for us and it wasn't created to benefit us, how do we really expect that system to make things fair and equal? Because it's not going, it wasn't designed to do that. And, you know, one of the criticisms that I've heard from, you know, other people in particular, Bruce Dixon from Black Agenda Report um, he was talking about the Black Lives Matter people, you know, showing up at the Bernie Sanders rallies, but, you know, he wanted them to talk to, you know, Hillary Clinton, show up to hers and start asking some very important questions. And I've stated this on the show many a times that Bill Clinton is the main reason why the black community has taken so many steps back because of the policies that he implemented when he was in office. So, I mean, it's it's no simple solution to this, and, you know, that's one of the things that I've been saying is that we need to get a group of people together, a think tank, if you will, and really put down some information and really strategize as to how to move forward. And, you know, part of that is, you know, having control of our economics and also having some political power. So economic power and political power, those are the two main forces that we need to build
0: oh absolutely um even when i look at the political compass, if you've seen them even back in civics they changed a little bit over the years but back in civics class it was a little, little lighter they look at all the issues that plague america that americans are supposed to be interested in and they put a line in the middle and they said you're conservative of you over here you're liberal over here and then authoritative is somewhere at the top I and mean, you fall on one side or the other you're either authoritative or you're not And I look at all those issues and I say to myself, the things that actually matter nationally that drive this country to make policies abroad and stuff like that, those things are conservative issues. Those things are people that own land and have businesses and stuff like that. Those things matter to them the most. Within a lot of black communities, they're just concerned with the basics. And so they don't get as much part of the political pie because they keep feeding off the same things. All a politician has to do is come out there and tell you what uh, low-income programs they're going to try to get the state to get extended. What this, what that, and you vote for them because, I'm not saying you, but I'm saying you vote for them over and over because you don't see the other side in your community. You don't see conservative republicans come in. That's because you don't have anything of value that they need or won't. You don't have any interest. In fact, it's not so much that, they've outlined what they think your interests are, and it's just the fact that they don't need the things you need, so that's why they don't really come in your sphere a lot. But wouldn't it be interesting if nobody really knew, I mean, they know what's important to us, but they couldn't call out the same common things. just like, oh, you know, let's try to get this extended. And black people say, I don't want it. They say, hold on, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you don't want it? What about this? I don't want it. Well, what do you want? And see, now at that point, if they want those swing votes in the states, I'm not concerned about national elections. I worry about the states because the states matter. They make up Congress. Right. The state would matter me. So at that point, you need my swing vote. I don't care how much you hate black people, don't like black people, don't talk to them. I don't care how many black friends you got. At some point, you need my swing votes.
1: Right, and, and see, and that's the whole thing. And like I said, I've told people, you know, they need to focus more on the local politics. Again, you know, your mayor, your alderman, and your state legislators. And what has happened over the past couple of decades particularly especially the past 10 years you know that Obama has been in office um, you know a lot of these governorships as well as you know the houses you know um, state houses they've gone red and they know and this you know what where the power is And they know what, you know, laws that, you know, they could implement that will have, you know, negative effect on us, taking money away from us and placing it with their pet projects. They know that. And see, and part of this goes back to education. And, you know, one thing that I have said in the past, and I still say now, we need to bring the freedom schools back. Now, the freedom schools were initially um, helping people to pass the voter test so that they could register to vote. But I believe they need to come back so that, you know, people can get more understanding about, you know, how their votes do count, how the political process, you know, counts. But, yeah, I'm saying I've always been an advocate of making, you know, the politicians, but in particular, the black political elite, the people that we keep voting for over and over and over and putting them in office, and yet our situations are getting worse. And we need to hold them accountable and we need to vote them out. And I also believe that we need to change legislation because as far as, you know, the federal government is concerned, if you win a seat in Congress, whether it's a Senate seat or a House seat, you only have to serve one term and you get your salary for the rest of your life. That's bullshit. And that has to go, too. But I'm saying, you know, the reason why I feel that we need a political action committee and we need people out there lobbying for us because it will help us to gain more political power and have more of a say-so in, you know, certain policies. But, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the issues that we're dealing with now is because of Bill Clinton. It's because of Bill Clinton and the policies that he put in place, and a lot of people don't want to, you know, accept that. They don't want to believe it, but it is. And I feel that, you know, Hillary needs to answer a lot of questions as to how she is going to remedy the damage that has been done by the policies her husband signed off on so I mean you know it's a it's a big message but yeah I mean we have to build economic power and political power and it you know it's just you have to be meticulous and it takes time this is not something that happens overnight but for what we have available to us now you know, the Black Lives Matter people getting people's attention any way that they can and basically demanding that they put our issues on their platform, put our issues on the table. And as you see with Bernie Sanders, you know, they got a new press secretary of public faith and it's a woman of color that works within the Black Lives Matter movement. Hillary Clinton brought a couple of women of color on her team. I mean... You know, we don't even have to worry about Donald Trump and the rest of the GOP crew because they don't care. And, you know, we can talk all we want. They Basically, they've written us off. And so it's just interesting because we have to get their attention. So that's why I said the methods that worked then, you know, does, they do not necessarily work now. They're effective because it gets people attention. But the thing is, is that most people in America have the attention span of a knack. You know, after, you know, a week or two, maybe a month has gone by, then it's on to something else that everybody is enraged about, you know, in this country. And that's one of the reasons why we're trying to keep the momentum up, trying to keep these stories in everybody's face in regard to Black Lives Matter, because, you know, at one point we were telling people every 28 hours – a black life was taken in this country, and that was based on old statistics from 2012. The new statistics say every 21 hours. So we're losing this fight. We're losing this fight, and something has to be done. Something has to be done. Otherwise, we're going to see more Trayvon Martins. We're going to see more Mike Browns. We're going to see more Rakeel Boyds and you know, in all of these different people. So, I mean, you know, it all boils down to, okay, we're doing this, and I know they've been working with, um, you know, organizers and activists from the past, and, you know, they're putting things together. There's more to come, you know. So this right now is still in its infancy, and it's growing, and they're strategizing on the back end. So that's why I said things are getting ready to change, because, you know, they're working on some things. But... Yeah, you know, it's no easy answer to any of this.
0: You know, um, you're right. It's, it's a lot of dynamics. Um, where I live, um, this is the richest black county in the nation. And there are other black areas all across the nation, California, upstate New York, different places. They're smaller. It's got to be the largest, you know, um, uh, landmass as far as it, uh-huh. it's incorporated, fully incorporated, there's the richest black area in the nation. And the only reason that it is the way that it is, it's not perfect. We have cr- tons of crime in some of our outside cities and stuff like that. But the majority of people here work. And the only reason that they work is because when, because it used to be all, almost all white. Every single uh-huh. job from the janitorial positions on up And then as far as unions, we have a lot of unions here. And we're very big in unions. So even when our county government or even when the state tries to put a contract, we have stipulations. If it's not, if they're not gonna hire our people or they're not gonna do whatever, that's a problem. Now we've gotten to a point now where we have a lot of Hispanic influence coming in. Now they're trying to kind of Get a little bit of edge, but you know it's not not that big of a deal. It, sometimes it works in our favor in terms of the unions because you know we have the um, the harbor and we have the the new casino they built there. We have all these other places that people are building that they have to hire people of color in, and so average income, the for, when when we look at affordable income standards, the average income, our state is not asking for as much money for this particular, or I should say our county isn't asking for as much money for this particular area. So that's actually a good thing. That's a good thing when you don't have to take as much government money because then they don't get to dictate where your zones begin in all the time. Granted, cities do zoning, I mean, states do zoning all the time, but it's a little better for you because they don't need to put certain things there and then say, okay, we have to rezone because these things are there. But the whole point I'm trying to make is, is that we have a new movement coming up, and I don't know whether it's a small group or a large group or how big it is of people who simply don't want to, and I'm not saying that this is everybody, they simply don't want to work. I'm not saying that there are enough jobs for everybody. I'm saying they don't want to work because they feel like it's a slave system. Is this rhetoric where, well, we tried that. We don't want to do this. We don't want to de- participate. We don't want to do this. We just want liberation. And I ask myself, and I say to a lot of youth, I say, listen to me. I know what you want. I want the same thing. Don't learn how to live. Having a revolution is meaningless. You can have a revolution. When? And then what happens after? You saw that with Haiti. They had the revolution. The only reason they even was able to fight it is because the Spanish had a beef with the French and the British about their ships being raided. So they gave the Haitians guns. And of course, we had a couple of leaders in Haiti who trained the people. But still, the only reason they didn't get decimated is because Haiti was commanding 30 to 40 percent of all of Europe's sugar. And that was a big power move. So all I'm saying is, is that those people had something valuable on that land that was valuable to everybody else. And those people had to ask themselves, do I want to burn all of Haiti down? or lose my wealth, my sugar, you know what, I'll fight them to a certain point, but if they're threatening the fields, I'll go ahead and let it go because it's not worth the loss. One slave port is not worth the loss of, of a big chunk of my economy. So that's what Charles IV well, the said then.
1: Right, but, I mean, you know, it all boils down to for some of these young people that, you know, as you, as you claim, they say they don't want to work, Well, I don't believe that they don't want to work per se. I mean, number one, you know, black youth have the highest unemployment rate. And if you go back, all the way back to when there was the New Deal, before the New Deal was voted on and passed, it used to be one black person unemployed to every one white person unemployed. After the New Deal, it became two black people unemployed to one black. I mean, to one white person unemployed. And all of that was implemented, and it was done strategically, you know. And the Southern strategy, they've been working on it and working on it, and they're implementing it, and it it has worked. But this is why I say we definitely need political power. But, again, you know, some of that falls into what, you know, I want to talk about today, and it says, what do you say to people who shamelessly exploit and manipulate others to further their agenda? And that's one of the things that we're dealing with. And, you know, some of what you're talking about falls under capitalism. And you can't have capitalism without having racism. And the wealth of this country, you know, the economy that we have here is built off the back, backs of um, slaves. And so there are a number of things that have to be addressed. Because even when we talk about, you know, reparations, you know, you have some white people say, well, I didn't do it, but you're benefiting from it. You know, your family was able to pass down that money or your family built that business and you're running that, you know, major corporation that started out with slave money and, you know, all state insurance, you know, and a number of other ones. And, you know, basically they don't want to share any of the wealth. And truth be told, if if they could ship many of us away, they would. And so, I mean, it's a lot of things, but, you know, people are being exploited. People are being manipulated, you know, the media, the politicians. And it's time for us to start looking through them and seeing what, you know, is really happening and put together a real agenda, a real platform, and basically tell them, you know, you need to put our issues on the table. And so it's just interesting. But, again, um, one of the reasons that I've heard that they have not crashed um, a Clinton rally yet is because of the Secret Service. You know, they're not having any of that. But, you know, what Hillary Clinton is trying to do is, you know, she's hiring these people to try to reach out. But, you know, we need to start, you know, holding them accountable. You know, and it's important, but, again, the history is also important. But, you know, again, it's about political and economic power. And the number one way to get these people's attention is to affect their money, to shut it down. So, I mean, you know, one day, you know, oh, so we're not going to buy anything every Wednesday. It has to be more than that, because it took almost a year with the um, boycott in Alabama, you know, and basically it brought them to their knees. And so, I mean, you know, we just have to start working, because, I mean, that works. I mean, the number one way to get somebody's attention is to tap their wallet, isn't it? I'm sure that gets your attention quickly.
0: Yeah, it, it works. Um, I think, and I've always believed this, um, I don't think it's so much of not buying anything completely because some people say i'm not going to go to target marshall's macy's and all these papers and i look at it i analyze i sat down one day and i analyzed it and i said that's crazy you're not going to be able to do a movement like that number one and number two it's not going to you you not shopping at certain areas the majority of the margins that those stores get is from white neighborhoods anyway that that's Mm -hmm. that's not going to work okay what does work and people are afraid to try is they're not targeting alcohol and tobacco specifically. And I didn't say stop buying it, but you have to look at, let's say, Mrs. Um, Missouri, I'm sorry. Missouri has the l- most lax alcohol laws out of all the states. Them and in and, and a couple other areas have the most lax, the whole Midwest pretty much has lax alcohol standards. Within their state and within their counties, you can transport alcohol across county lines. So you can buy alcohol here and drive it all the way across as a regular person, not as a company, not as an entity, because they want you to drink. They don't want a whole lot of regulation on alcohol and tobacco. Now, I looked at it and I said, well, how much? Because we know that property tax pays for some areas. We know tax on items. That's why they prefer to put strip malls in certain places, because the dollar per ticket gives you a strong state tax. But... It's the alcohol and tobacco thing. It holds weight. It holds weight in terms of volume, and it holds weight in terms of politics. And I'm not saying don't buy it, but I'm saying that if in your county, because they have, I don't know if you know about, you know about ABC stores, right? Mm Uh-huh. Okay. So within your county, because in Missouri, it's not just the state, they allow ABC stores to regulate. ABC stores, not just the state. Some places it's like we'll let the county take care of all the ABC. So if you say, look, in this entire county, I'm not buying alcohol out of this county, I'll, I'll go over to the next county and buy. That's, that's not going to fly. Hold on. You know, my ABC store, nobody's buying the alcohol other than the occasional people who hang the winos and stuff like that. But other than that, my margins are tanking. Where are we getting our taxes from? Yeah, I can pull people over and do extra this and do extra that to see if they're transporting alcohol, but your regulation tells me I can transport it. So you'd have to break your own laws in order to get me. But it's just a matter of that can hurt 48 weeks. You don't need any more than 48 weeks. Going dry in one county is enough to make them say, look, we need to look at the policy you put in place for the review boards because they brought up the review boards but the problem was our people didn't look at the fine print when they did the review board they they got the local politician to go ahead and pass those up for a bill for the review board but they left out the most critical part which was allowing the review board to be able to subpoena police records which is what other review boards are able to do in california and other places we didn't have anybody to look that over so they said we'll give you this and then they left out the most crucial, if you can't subpoena the records, then what's the point of having a review board? So 48 weeks of that dry in that county would have got them to reverse that. And then as far as your other issues, you you can fight that with uh, with um, what they call them, um, pre- precedent uh, case law. So you can stand, right. but that's, that's yeah. a whole other thing from the story. The whole point I was saying was is that on that particular issue, you could have fought them and made them put that back in on that issue. But people were so like, well, we're going to do a Black Friday. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It doesn't matter if you do a Black Friday one day or even three days. You know, no one's going to sustain that much not shopping for that long. And then even if they do, the amount that you spend per ticket in that area is not going to rival the amount they're making the companies, not the state, but the companies in other areas. So they'll weather right. this storm, it's only right. so long. They'll just cut the prices and say, Hey, come here, we got half off and you'll go.
1: Yeah, and and you know what's interesting about that is, you know, are the taxes on alcohol and cigarettes. And that's why we've seen the pack a pack of cigarettes what are they like eleven, twelve dollars a pack now? And I remember way back when when cigarettes were a quarter a pack. And so they heavily taxed alcohol and um, nicotine products or tobacco products. And so, I mean, yeah, you know, that can bring them to their knees. But, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, Jesse Jackson and Operation Push, they did a boycott against all of the liquor stores here in Chicago. And, you know, they were boycotting, telling people not to go to it, and then one day it just went away. And nobody questioned it. Nobody said anything. But... (laughs) His two sons have a liquor distributorship, you know, one of the largest ones in Chicago, and so now they're making money off of it. So again, I mean, like I say, you you have to follow the money because you know, in some cases, a lot of those people that were part of the black political elite when Martin Luther King was alive before he was assassinated, you know, many of them have gone on to find lucrative careers and. You know, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, you know, they're worth like 12 and $25 million. And that's a, that's a lot of money. But, again, it's about holding people accountable. And so, you know, let's, let's kind of steer this back to what we were going to talk about today. Because, you know, information like that is very valuable. And this is one of the reasons why I say we need to bring back the Poor People's Campaign. And we also need to bring, bring back the Freedom Schools so that we can start educating each other, educating these young folks. And, you know, you were right when you said we have access to a lot of information that we didn't have access to before. However, if they don't know what to look for. You know, it doesn't matter if they have the Internet if they don't know what to look for or they don't have, you know, people out there encouraging them to research this and teaching each other. That's one thing I will say with a lot of these young folks is that, you know, they are teachable, you know, especially when it comes to you know, the issues and the things that they're seeing now because many of them are hopeless. They feel as though they have no future. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why, you know, when I see a lot of the things that are happening and it's happening more and more to more people, it's like, you know, it's it's, it's overwhelming. You know, the stories that we see in the news about black and brown bodies, you know, you know, basically being tossed because of state violence, you know, being killed and and maimed and what have you. And after a while, it's just overwhelming, and you become numb. And so, you know, I was talking about my experience at the Black Lives Matter conference in Cleveland, and I said when I got there, the I can't breathe slogan finally clicked with me. You know, not only was it in regards to what Eric Garner was saying to the police officers, but, you know, with us, you know, when, when I got down there, we saw how welcoming and how loving everybody was. I think we all were able to, you know, exhale and start to breathe and release. And, you know, a lot of people said when they went down there, you know, they were able to think because there's so much stuff coming at us all the time that we don't really have a chance to really think or focus or decompress, you know, and that's done on purpose. And so, I mean, you know, like I said, it's a lot of factors to what's happening and what's out here. And we definitely need some of the elders out here to help guide some of these young people because, um, you know, is, is their future. I mean, it's our now because we're here, but, you know, looking at their future and I have nieces and nephews that have children and some of their children have children. And, you know, it's like, you know, what we're leaving for them is, an, you know, actual shithole. And the reason why I say that is when we had Occupy Wall Street, these were affluent white kids out here saying that they had no future. And if there, there is no future for a lot of these white kids, I mean, what does that say to us? And so, you know, we have to, you know, again, understand, and like you were talking about the state, you know, politics within your particular state, yes, because it's a lot of people that are suffering because of these Republicans that have opted out of, you know, the Affordable Care Act, and yet, you know, they're being affected by that, and so... You know, it just comes to a point when you have to fight back. And like I say, vote them out. We need to get some people, some young folks that, you know, we train up to be put into those positions, but also not to fall into the same traps that other ones have, you know, fallen into. Because I know that there were some people out there when they ran for office, they were very sincere in their beliefs and they really wanted to make change. But once they got there, they found out that they really couldn't make the type of changes that they wanted. So they just kind of fell in line, you know, with the company line there and moved forward. And that's some of the issues that we're having now because, again, you know, there are people in our community who have just given up. They don't care anymore. You know, they see people out there, and, you know, having rallies and protests. And some of them, they just simply do not care. They gave up. And it's unfortunate. And, I mean, but we got to do something. Otherwise, we're just sitting ducks. And,
0: you know, you're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. Oh, no, I didn't. I wasn't cutting you off. I was just telling you you were right.
1: Oh, Oh, yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, you know, like I said, that weekend was beautiful because everybody was showing love to one another. And I had a friend, you know, that said something to that effect to me you know, several years ago, and I looked at her like she was crazy, you know. And so, you know, I must admit I was wrong because, you know, the love that we showed one another, you know, that weekend, the concern that we had for one another's well-being, making sure everybody was okay, and, you know, when they would see me sitting on the bench because I got winded, they would come and sit with me so I wouldn't be alone and ask me if I was okay, if I needed any help. And, I mean, It was beautiful, you know, and it reminded me of, you know, what I heard of from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s when, you know, someone in the community, if they couldn't pay their rent, you know, the families, the people in the community would have a rent party to raise the money and to help each other and to, you know, rely and love each other. Where has that gone? What has happened? And I do believe that we can get quite a bit of that back. But, I mean, some people may say I'm being idealistic, but, you know, after I left Cleveland, I was, like, extremely motivated, extremely motivated. And, you know, moving forward with some of the plans that, you know, I was working out and, you know, thinking about there. But, I mean, dude, I'm just looking at it, and, I mean, we just can't sit here. Something has to be done. And so that's why I commend the Black Lives Matter movement, because what they're doing is they're making sure that everyone that's a part of this movement is a leader. So that's why it's called a leaderful movement, as opposed to what happened in the 50s and the 60s when Martin Luther King emerged. Because when King was assassinated, everybody scattered And once you make a movement and you have, you know, uh, like a figurehead there that, you know, sometimes people lose their minds when they get a little bit of power. And so, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, bickering and, you know, what was interesting is that in that movement there was a lot of misogyny and patriarchy because a lot of people don't realize is that there were two marches on that day when they had the March on Washington. The men went down Pennsylvania, and the women went down Independence. But it was two separate marches, and the women had some problems because they wanted to speak. And so they only allowed Ella Baker to come up there to speak for a few minutes, and they wanted Mahalia Jackson to speak, and she said no, but she sang her song. But the thing is, is that, you know, with the movement that we're having now, We've had, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the people from the old civil rights vanguard attempting to insert themselves in leadership positions to co-opt this movement, namely Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, um, you had, uh, what's his name, Jamal Bryant trying to get out there and act like he was leading, you know, the young folks. And they're trying to come in, they're trying to co-opt it. And, you know, one of the things that I find extremely disturbing is they're trying to make this about black men in particular, and that was the issue with the 50s and the 60s, because a lot of black women were supporting the feminist movement, and they were told that they had to support one or the other. So many of them went back and decided to, you know, support civil rights, black power movement, and they were promised that their issues would be tended to and would be put, you know, in the forefront, and that never happened. And so what's happening now with this, you know, this movement was founded by, you know, three wonderful black women and who put their, you know, their lives, you know, to a certain extent on the line for this. And, you know, they're not allowing these, you know, these males or men to come in and to try to, you know, usurp what they're they're doing and try to co-op. Because that was one of the issues um, in Cleveland. You had um, somebody from RevCom show up, and he was trying to lead, you know, a demonstration of his own with their people, and none of the people would follow him, and so he got angry. And so, you know, it's just interesting, a lot of the, you know, obstacles that you know they're coming up against you know and especially just you know again people trying to come in and take over and so you know what they did was smart as far as having you know making sure that it's a leader full because it's kind of based on SNCC because remember um When Diane Nash put together SNCC, it was not a central figurehead. Ella Baker was a part of that as well. And, you know, one of the reasons why is because when you have many people that are leaders, you know, unfortunately with our people, with black people, many people don't want to be leaders because, you know, they're either killed or put in jail. And that's unfortunate because they make an example of these people. And it's just, it's just... I don't know. Like I said, when I've seen these young people standing up and rising up and fighting back, I was, like, really proud of them because I never thought that I would see that in my lifetime. And that's one of the reasons why I support them in any way that I can. You know, so I make a number of contributions in many different ways, but, you know, that conference, like I said, you really had to be there. Because, you know, I just, it was very exhilarating. It was very electric. I don't know. It's just, it was interesting. A nice mixture of different people. But, um, I mean, it's like this. In this country, people of color, namely black people, we are basically told and trained to hate ourselves. And so, again, when, when, you know, we were all together showing that love, and some of the people were a little uncomfortable, but, I mean, you know, I believe the discomfort came from they don't really know what love is. So, you know, how do you love somebody or show love to someone when they don't really know what love is? And so that's what I'm saying. We're going to have to go back in, or we're going to have to deconstruct A lot of these institutions, you know, that are in place, because, again, you know, capitalism and, you know, a lot of other things, you know, the white supremacist, patriarchal capitalist system that, you know, we happen to be a part of, it was not designed to help black people. It was not designed to, you know, acknowledge our humanity. It was not designed for any of that. You know, we are supposed to be servants. We're supposed to be bending our wills and bending our head and our backs to the wheels of, the, you know, the elite. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you have some people, you know, some black people, people of color right here that, you know, actually believe in that particular line of thought. And it's disturbing. And what's interesting is the people that have that particular line of thought, those are the people that many of the mainstream white people are promoting. And that's because these people are non-challenging and they're just trying to get what they can get for themselves, you know, so they're self-promoting opportunists. And I just think it's unfortunate. And sometimes it's hard to... To identify people as that because they portray themselves one way, and then later on down the line you find out that that's what they are and that's what they've always been. And so, again, you know, they try to go out and manipulate and exploit people who, you know, aren't really wise to the game that's being played. So, I mean, I just said all of that to say this, that we have a long way to go. And, you know, this movement is in its infancy, you know, because it's now the second year um, when the uh, the conference, that was the second year anniversary of Black Lives Matter. And so we're moving forward, and you're going to have other groups out here. You're going to have some people splinter off. I mean, that always happens. But, again, you know, if our goal is to be recognized as human beings with equal rights, and leveling the playing field, that's wonderful, as long as we're trying to get to the same place. But we also have to remember that you have people out there that are only in this for what they can get. And they don't mm-hmm. care who they or run over to get it. And I think that's sad. And the unfortunate mm-hmm. part about it is that a lot of the, you know, mainstream organizations promote those people, and they will protect them. Why because they know what that person, they know what's going to come out of their mouth. They know that they're going to basically rally for the status quo, except for themselves. You know? And that was one of the issues um, that was going on between Booker T. Washington and W.E.V. Du Bois, because Booker T. Washington basically wanted us to pretty much just submit ourselves, if you will, And just go along to get along and, you know, show white people that you can be productive, show them that you want to work, show them that you want all of these things, but don't get them agitated. And I just think it's unfortunate because you still have that line of thinking to this day. So, I mean, you know, we have a lot of people with a lot of different thoughts and processes there, but, I mean, what is it going to hurt to get together and put together a think tank and move forward, but I really do believe that the two major components of this particular particular equation, it has to be political and economic, because we need them both in order to exact any real change and make it long-lasting, because, you know, they'll give us something for a little while, and then when people get lackadaisical, they get, you know, um, comfortable, if you will, and then it goes back to the way that it used to be. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, we talked about um, Ferguson, but, you know, there are Fergusons all over this country because, you know, the population of said city would be majority black. But when you walk into the municipal buildings and, you know, uh, anything government is majority white and they create jobs. And they create opportunities for one another off the backs of black people. That's why I posted an article the other day, and I called it the big shakedown. But we've been talking about this for a while, because basically by them issuing all of those warrants and fines and, you know, all of these different fees, and it is mainly against black people, you know, this is how they're keeping us in poverty, but this is how they're enriching, you know, their particular counties, their particular states, and it's being done off of the black back. and And this is why I say we have to fight back politically as well as economically, because that's the only way this is going to stop. Well,
0: it's it's um, and I agree with that. Um, they're making the two black council members in Ferguson answer for everything now, you know, of course they, cause they're council members. So now you have to be up there at the face and talk when the protests and the shootings are going on. And I, I see them having a little bit of a difficult time and they, but they're sticking to their guns, which is a good sign. Um, one of the things that always made me feel a little we, you know, woozy was the fact that we do have a lot of leaders. We have a lot of people. Whenever one of our people is shot, the first thing we go and we say murder, 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 murder. And we put an intensive amount of pressure on the state to say, hey, look, look into this. The county, I'm sorry, the county, look into this. And the county, don't we try to push for the state to look into it. And so when they do their investigation and they say, okay, now they've gotten hip and they say, well, the department's just going to fire this guy. So we'll do is we'll go ahead and and, and instead of prosecute him, we'll have an indictment. But now what they're doing now is just going ahead and prosecuting him. And I see the genius. I'm not praising them, but I see the genius and why they decide we're not going to even indict. We're just going to go ahead and prosecute for the people because the people want somebody to hang for murder. But by the letter of this law, they don't have enough at the initial part of the investigation. To even declare murder and because the people are very emotional at that stage and they would have nothing else but murder they say give it to them because the faster we get this in front of a prosecutor and bring it to a judge for preliminaries the faster the judge can either throw it away or say you know what we'll let it go to trial but nine times out of ten in between the prosecutor and the judge who's looking at the preliminary the the, the pre the pre-trial motion He'll say, well, by definition, you haven't finished your investigation yet. You don't have enough of murder. Nobody puts manslaughter on the table at first. Because if you put manslaughter on the table, you can always change the charge or add on to as your investigation goes and you get the footage and get all these different things. You can push it up. But if you start a murder and that gets thrown out, it's very difficult, almost impossible for you to go back down because you just disproved. You can't charge them for the highest thing. Now it looks like you're reaching. And they're like, no, well, you you lost your opportunity. So I I hate the fact that our people, they'll cry. I'm not saying we're going to get justice anyway. I'm just saying that they'll say murder, murder, murder. So now the system has gotten smart. And they said, well, give it to them. Let's just go ahead and prosecute this officer and put him in jail. That'll get them to shut up. You know. They won't say, well, you didn't prosecute him. she sure, we did? We prosecute him. We even put him in front of the judge, went through the pretrial motions, and we'll let you have a trial if it even goes that far. Nine times of ten doesn't even go that far. <laughs> and then this but guy's the gone. Thing,
1: but one of the things that we have to address is basically the police department investigating their own police officers. And the laws that are on the books as far as being able to indict or even charge a police officer with murder or manslaughter. And what's interesting is, you know, what you said there, because that happened in Chicago with Rakia Boyd. And basically the judge said that the prosecutors did not charge the officer with the right charges. And so he had to kick it out, you know, because it was the wrong charges coming up against that particular police officer and so what we're trying to do in chicago is basically the police oversight board we're basically at this point the appointees are made by the mayor and what we're trying to do is create or force a situation in which it will be the oversight will be by civilians and so those are some of the you know changes that have been made um In Chicago, we got reparations for people who were victims of police violence under this particular um, John Birch, you know, who retired because you know a lot of young men, you know, and, and women of color were, you know, basically picked up off the street and just beaten. And they were always looking for a black male suspect, and they were just picking, you know, black men up off the street, picking them up,
0: you know, hurting
1: them, killing them. So there's a number of things that are happening here, but I don't know. It's just, you know, sitting back and looking at, you know, what's happening now, you know, we just have to be prepared and kind of brace ourselves because there are going to be some mistakes made. You know, there are going to be, you know, some situations that are going to make you cringe, like, oh, you know, and that happens, and it's it's a learning experience. But, no, what you brought up was extremely important. But, you know, again, that's one of the questions that we have. The police officers are investigating themselves. So, of course, they're always going to say that, you know, that action was justified. I actually posted an article um, last week, And basically one of the, you know, leading firearm instructors or trainers in this country, he tells the police officers when he's training them, shoot first and he'll explain later, which basically means he's going to white explain the, the problem away. And so that's why I'm saying this system was not developed to help us. You know, this system was developed to capitalize off of us either way. You know, they can capitalize uh, on us if there's a bull market or a bear market. It doesn't matter. They know how to hedge their bets, and they're going to come out ahead every time. We need to understand how this game is played and what they're doing, and we need to be more politically active. We need to hold people accountable, not only, you know, the politicians, but even with, you know, the activists within our community. Because, again, I talked about, you know, people being exploited and manipulated, And it's important that we not allow that to happen. And so, you know, that's what I'm looking at, you know, seeing in some respects. But, um, you know, because I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand how Al Sharpton makes it to, you know, these locations before anybody else gets there, you know, and, you know, trying to push his agenda. But, you know, it's, it's, I'm hoping that it gets better. I hope that it gets better. But, I mean, we have to at least try. And so I definitely commend, you know, Alicia, Patrice, and Opal for what they've created in Black Lives Matter. And like I said, they are consulting with other people. And, you know, again, it's in its infancy because the weekend right after that, they had another conference when it was talking, you know, legal professionals from all around the country came together. And so they were talking about different strategies and things that, you know, we need to implement and have put in place, how to make certain challenges. And, I mean, what happened in Ferguson with the tear gas and some of the legalities behind that, you know, it was great, you know, I mean, and and even the um, United Nations came here and stated that a lot of the activity that has been transpiring in Ferguson has been illegal, and so basically they were holding the U.S. accountable. And so, I mean, it's just interesting because, you know, one of the arguments that I see from people is they talk about Barack Obama and what has he done for black people, and then the other argument, he was president of the United States, not president of black people, and I feel that we missed one of the most important opportunities that we could have had, because had we had an agenda and a platform and put it before him and made demands when he was elected, I believe we would have been able to get more done. But we have no political power because we have no one out there lobbying for us. We don't, you know, and so that's why I posted that article from The Hill, because I just think it's important that, you know, we examine this from a number of different, you know, perspectives and see how we can put these different components in to affect real change, not something that they can give us now and take away later. Like, you know, what happened with the Supreme Court, with the Voting Rights Act, when they struck down Section 5. And so, you know, when when I'm out here and I'm talking to the young people, and I'm like, yeah, they struck down Section 5, and I'm like, but they're going after Section 2 next. And once the Supreme Court knocks down Section 2, then, you know, we go on back to how many bubbles are in the bar of soap. So, I mean, we, we have to make sure that they're educated. We have to make sure we're educated because a lot of this information, you know, I had, you know, um, a young man, Red Ninja, who called in, and he was saying that he didn't know about any of this until he went to college and paid for these courses. And, you know, we do these shows. We do them for free. We put the information out there, and we encourage people to do some research. And that's why I say, with the, you know, we bring back the freedom schools, you know, online and, you know, when they have these conferences, you know, the information is out there. That's extremely important. It's extremely important because a lot of the history, of our history, has been whitewashed. You know, when you have people in Texas changing the textbooks, saying that Jesus rode a dinosaur and that that slaves were happy because what, you know, what were they called? Um, um, Let me see, these contractors or consultants or whatever they said about the slaves. You know, basically, you know, they're trying to make it seem as though the slaves were happy and that, you know, they were just I-9s or what have you. And so, I mean, you know, we're going to have to fight back, you know, on a number of different levels not just out in the streets, you know, because it's like, you know, we have to be very smart and strategic about, you know, the direction that we go in, you know, for this. And so, I mean, we're getting there slowly but surely. But, you know, one of the things that I have to say is, you know, they've done all of these studies, and one of the studies that came out said that white people did not believe that black people experienced Um, the same type of pain that they do, that we do not necessarily, you know, experience pain or, you know, it's not as bad as we say it is. And, you know, that's one thing that's happening out there. Another thing that's happening is you have some white people out here who will say that we're just whining and complaining. But now with the advent of the Internet and, you know, social media and, you know, all of these stories are being shared. You know, many of them are taking, you know, another look at it. But, again, look at what's happened since Obama was elected in 2008. Basically, you know, um, membership in, you know, white nationalist, you know, groups has gone up. You know, more hate groups are coming. I mean, the Klan is marching out in the street. And if you go back and you look through history, you know, you you could see what's, what's happening here. And what's interesting to what you were saying about, you know, being a wealthy black county of, you know, wealthy black city is, you know, we've always been able to do that. You know, we had Rosewood, we had Tulsa, we had Wilmington. And what happened was when the economy got bad and, you know, there was a lack of jobs. You know, they had to blame it on, you know, the weakest link, you know, as far as they were concerned. They were blaming it on blacks. And what's happening now is they're blaming it on, you know, Mexicans and blacks, but more so the Mexicans, because they don't want to be seen as racist by saying it's the black folk. But the thing is, is that with all of those cities with the, you know, acquired wealth and power, as you know, that was when, you know, black people, they were running their own cities. They were mayor, you know, they were being elected to, you know, the U.S. Congress as, you know, House, you know, um, representatives and all of that. And basically what they did is they would run the black people out of town. They would burn it down, shoot them, kill them, you know, and that's what happened. And the thing is is that we can do that. We can we can know how to build wealth. The problem is how do we keep it? Because, you know, again, you know, many of their methodologies, they just use the same methods over and over, and we fall for the okie doke every time. And so this is why I feel that the history is important and that we also get the, you know, needed professionals and scholars in place because they know what's happened and can explain it to people because we have to stop doing business as usual. Something has to change. Otherwise, you know, 100 years from now, you know, our great-grandchildren, great, 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 you know, they're going to be like, well, what was on their minds? Why didn't they, you know, if they're thinking about it at all? So, I mean, I don't know. You know, we just have to move forward. We have to move forward and, you know, make sure everybody has a table, I mean, a seat at the table. Because it's important because, again, it's all black lives matter. You know, we had another trans woman of color that was murdered um, over the weekend, and no one's talking about that. And it's just interesting. I know one of the things that we were talking about is the movie Stonewall and why many of us are not going to support it because they whitewashed that history too. It was Puerto Rican and black, you know, drag queens out there fighting. They decided that enough was enough. But in that movie, they whitewashed it, so now the hero is a heterosexual or cisgender white man. And so, I mean, this is why it's important that we get this information to the young people and that they know the history, because, again, you know, they rewrite the history, and they can do that, and they've been able to do it. And so, I mean, you know, at some point, we're going to have to care and get out there and start forcing some change. And so, I mean, that's one of the issues that I have. You know, I want the best for everybody, but, you know, how do you want the best for someone who stopped caring and stopped trying? They gave up. How do you do that?
0: Well, I wonder, um, in that process of giving up sometimes, it's weird because you have, when you, when you describe the system, and you say, okay, we want equality or we want representation, but we want these things. Let's take Walmart, for example, with the black doll situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this situation. Okay. The Sis Doll, which is a version of the a, a Barbie line, I think, is a Barbie line. I had to look at these because I'm not into dolls, obviously. But uh, I looked at the dolls. <laughs> and I wanted to know what people were talking about. And I'm like, come on, these, you know, you saying they're not buying the dolls because the dolls are ugly or something? So I looked at the dolls. The dolls were beautiful. You know, I'm not a doll. Right. Girl, obviously. I'm a man, but I'm looking at. I'm like, well, they're done very well. They, they whoever made them They must have had black people make them or somebody they were made well different shades You know they had the proper representation. I didn't see where they did ugly things with the hair No, they had their variances you could have the type of hairstyle you wanted the type of clothes You can have trends all the way from the 90s on up to 2015 it, it, They spared no expense with doing this sister line. and I'm looking at it, I'm like these are fabulous. and so now they got them to where they marked them down to 350 at some stores, and I'm like, "Wow, they cutting into the budget because no black people buy them." So I'm looking at it, and I'm saying to myself, "A lot of the logistical companies and different things that have the money to purchase things or materials at a certain price to even put them on a platform to sell to you, even when they give you what you want, people don't buy into it." And I said to myself, "Hmm." We much of America relies on white wealth and white money. Even if it's in a black community, we got people still relying on white wealth and white money. We're basing success based on that thing. We got black girls who have the option to have this doll, but they don't want, they still buy the white doll. And I'm like, it's gotta be how they view out that. Maybe it's the outlook of what they think is successful according to the country's view of that lens. Maybe that's it. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that, What makes me feel bad in a way is, is that sometimes, and I feel bad for feeling this way, I say to myself, it's more to it than that, but I get tired of people. Sometimes it feels like they're begging white people to say, listen, this is what your ancestor did did to us. We understand that you're just living in the privilege of it, but not only do we want you to understand that, we want you to fund, train, endorsed and basically care. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but some people just want them to carry us on through on just on merit alone. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. In my brain, I'm going back. I say, I understand the movement towards getting white supremacy knocked down and, and showing the country that, hey, everything has been very Eurocentric because this country was made originally for the 13 colonies. was was made for anybody else, you know, the, the, at least the states that were put in place in this continent. But to a certain extent, I remember when we had the black theaters and when we we had 99 cent theaters and other different theaters and a lot of people don't understand it takes a lot to get a movie to actually get licensed and get on a big screen. Most of those theaters don't even have access to the actual types of movies that would bring in a type of revenue because other than that, they're making money on snacks. They might make one or two dollars off ticket sales. You'd have to make the ticket sales comparable to what the ticket sales are in that region. And that only leaves you a margin of maybe one, I forget what the percentage is, but you only get about one or two dollars off the tickets. That means you have to make everything else off the snacks. So what does that have to do with Barbies and the movies? What it has to do with the fact is that our values, we buy ourselves out of our community every day. That's why I talk about the international trade of goods and stuff like that. We say we want all these things, and I grant it, but then when a black version of it comes or somebody, one of our people, do it, we don't fund it. And then when it flops, we say, well, see, white supremacy wouldn't let us have the movie. And I have a problem with that.
1: Well, in regards to what you were saying about, you know, the Barbie dolls, um, in, in many cases, some people just don't know i mean i have some friends that have children and they will only allow you to purchase um black dolls or ethnic dolls for their children and sometimes people don't know because i mean it's been so long that we've been you know excluded from those things some people may not even know about it you know and then we also got to look back into the budget because there are some people out there you know they don't have very much money when christmas time comes around you know they want to get their kids something but you know it's easier to go over to the dollar store and pick up a few little trinkets you know, and and i mean it's just you know there are a lot of dynamics there but no white supremacy is real um and and you know what's happening out there and but you know Walmart has a program in which um minority business owners or inventors or what have you um they will sell their products in the store. And so, you know, a lot of it is about marketing, advertising, promotion. You know, Barbie is a household name. Like, you know, same thing with Kleenex and, you know, Charmin is a household name. So, again, you know, when you have, especially with some of the culture, with, um, you know, like some of these, you know, I would think that the Dows would have been popular because you got people like Nicki Minaj and other ones who call themselves black Barbies. So I'm not quite sure where to, you know, how many components or what's the issue with those dolls in particular. But, you know, my thing is, is that are they, you know, on the bottom shelf where most people aren't going to look, you know, because most people are going to look at the shelves at eye level, you know? So, I mean, has it been marketed you know what's happening. I mean, they have no problem marketing alcohol and cigarettes and all of those things heavily in our community. What about you know these other things here?
0: Well, what they did with the with the dolls, they made um they made two lines. One was for for they would call assist dolls, and they're, they're um you know African American or Afrocentric dolls, and then they made another line for Hispanics and Latinos. So we code name them black and brown dolls. That's what we code name them, <laughs> but they black, made brown, two. Black. Right. So what they did was, is they did market these dolls. They put them right next to the white Barbies. They put them up in the front of the stores on the on the on the um, end caps. They did all this promotion. And they, especially with the Hispanic dogs, and they found out interesting things because I've seen them. I've went into areas um, in D.C. I know over in D.C. you've got Columbia Heights and places like that where it's mostly Hispanic people, you know, and so the stores are geared towards them. But you go in there. And they they add the culture into the doll. With Hispanic dolls, I kind of understand why people look at it the way they do because they even incorporate all the cultural colors and stuff like that. And the little girls get to the doll. And even though more of them will buy their own doll, they don't buy as much as they buy the white dolls because when they look at the colors, it's like, well, that, maybe that's something my mom used to put on me when I was little. But, you know, I was born here in America. and We don't wear that. So they go for the other doll. But with the black dolls, these dolls were put up front. They were broadcast. They were in the paper. They were in all this stuff. And nobody would buy them. No black people would buy them. So they dropped the price 50%. They dropped it all the way down to $3.50. And, and I guess people figured that hurt the any value it could have going for it when they dropped the price down three fifty, but nobody was buying it. When it was at the same price as the Barbie doll, when they dropped it down, so you have the black Barbie doll worth the least of all. Two dollars more will get you the, the the Latina, and then full price is the white. You see that trend? Well, I see exactly what you're
1: saying, and again, you know, again with the media. And, you know, how, you know, it's set up in this country. I mean, you've seen that um, test that they gave black and white children, particularly minority children with a white doll and then a black doll. And a lot of the, you know, black kids were choosing the white doll. And they would say that the black, And you know, the question would be, which one is the bad doll? And they point to the black one. These kids are not stupid. They know what they, you know, they're seeing on TV. They may not have the language for it. But, you know, again, I mean, that comes back to education, comes back to education and, you know, um, developing and cultivating, you know, a pride in who you are. Because, you know, again, I mean, even when you watch the news, you know, it's interesting because when someone black has done something, you know, we're categorized as criminals and thugs. Um, now when somebody, Latino, you know, a Latino does something, They're called an illegal immigrant, even though that may not be the case because, you know, again, you have different categories, Latino, Chicano, Hispanic, um, a number of things. And, you know, the other day when, you know, someone was mentioning Puerto Rico, and someone was like, we need to deport them, and they didn't realize that Puerto Rico is a part of the United States. And so, I mean, but again, you know, all the empathy when it's white people, you know, it's, it's totally different. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, a man was, you know, stormed into a movie theater, which happened most recently yet again. And so, I mean, again, the way that the media plays it out, again, with the education, again, with, you know, some of the self-hatred issues. But, you know, I mean, this is where the education comes in. And when I say education, I'm not talking about, you know, someone having the entire alphabet behind their name. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, you can be an autodidact. You know, a lot of this information you can find on the Internet. You can find free PDFs. You know, you can go to Google Books. You know, especially the ones that are uh, that have eminent domain, you know, you can read them for free. You know, and there are a number of other sites that you can go out and read these items, these books, for free. So, again, you know, I, I can't expect someone to go out and, you know, um, just automatically, you know, research, you know, a particular topic because, you know, they don't know anything about it and they don't know what to look for. And so that's why we have these shows. That's why we bring certain things up. That's why I post certain things. And I know some people wonder why I post different things is because, you know, I have a variety of people that, you know, are following me or Facebook friends or Twitter or whatever. And so, you know, just, you know, I mean, besides that, I read a bunch. I, I read voraciously. And so, you know, it's like sometimes I put things up there, but I, I can tell you, I have at least seven, 800 links that I have not posted that I've been wanting to post, but I'm not because, you know, um, it's kind of overwhelming and inundating, but it's It's interesting, but you know we're moving forward, and I think that's important and you know it's it's interesting because you know some days you just really want to turn it off because it's it's too much. you know it is one issue after the other issue after the other issue, and it's coming at you so fast and so hard, and you know it hurts. you know when when you know I really do believe that I am my brother's and sisters' keeper. And so, you know, when that happened to Trayvon when he was assassinated, you know, you know, my heart really did hurt for his mother and his father, you know, and it's just, I don't know. Like I said, we have to find a better way because we're losing this fight. We're losing this battle. And so, you know, what are we leaving for, you know, the younger generations? You know, what are we doing? Because like I said, my nieces and nephews' children and then their children, and after that, if we don't do, you know, what we need to do and get things straightened out, you know, I just shudder and think, what would happen? And, you know, the number of black and brown people that are part of the penal system, you know, that is by design as well, you know, because many of them are forced to work without any type of, you know, compensation, and then when they do get some compensation, what, 22 cents an hour, you know, and then, you know, working for some of these major corporations doing collections or telemarketing or customer service or what have you, and then once they're released from prison, these same companies won't hire them. But they've already been trained and they know how to do the job. And so that's why we have such a high recidivism rate. And, you know, and I mean, it's just a number of issues because, um, even with some of the young people or older people that have been incarcerated, if they were incarcerated with a drug charge, they are now not eligible to receive, you know, financial aid. You know, the pill grants and all that. They can't get any of that. And that needs to be turned around. Same thing with their, you know, right to vote. You know, well, and it, 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 it's
0: it's weird. Um do you really I'm I was just gonna ask the question. Do you think that, what about the second drug offense? Do you think they should still be able to receive state or county aid?
1: Well, I'm one of those people. I feel that all drugs should be legal. And the reason why I say that is tax them. We're always talking about, you know, the infrastructure and not having the money. Legalize the drugs and tax it. We need to have more mental health care facilities and services available for people. The jails should not be the place where you shift the mentally ill to. They're not equipped or trained for that. And what's interesting is, is that um, they just put someone in leadership at the Cook County Jail here in Chicago, and she's a psychologist. You know, and that's how bad that problem is. But, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if they go to jail and they do their time, then they've done their time. When they come out, they should be able to vote. They should be eligible for financial aid. But, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, what created that situation in the first place? You know, did they sell drugs because there were no opportunities? You know, they couldn't find a job. I mean, so there are a number of different things. You know, the way that I see it is that, you know, you not only help that one person, but you help the whole family if you can. You know, and so... It's just, it's difficult, but the thing is, is that it would be cheaper for, you know, the United States to implement some of these programs than it is for them to jail the people. But, again, you have these wealthy white tycoons that are profiting from, you know, the prison industrial complex, and that's how it was set up to be. Just like, you know, when you were talking earlier about where you're located Basically, um, you know, with the redlining that, you know, has been an issue in this country, basically it forced black people to live in certain areas. And basically the majority of the landowners in those areas are rich white men. So they're still making money off of us. So, you know, whether we have a warrant or a fine or a fee, if you don't pay it by a certain time, it doubles. All of that, that is all you know, designed, well, not all of them, but for the most part designed, you know, to um, basically keep poor people poor. And the reason why I'm stating it that way is because, you know, poor whites experience, you know, a lot of the same things. Even though they have the privilege of having white skin, but they're still poor. You know, they're being shot. You know, and they're having to pay these fines and the fees as well, which is why I say we need to go back and pick up the Poor People's Campaign because that was for everybody, you know, poor, whites, you know, middle-class, whites, whomever, you know, black, white, red, yellow, whatever. And we need to go and pick that up because, you know, wealth inequality, economic inequality, you know, this capitalism, it has to be addressed.
0: Yeah, so um, I agree with that. Um, the only thing that sometimes miss me, gets me off in the wrong way is, um, when you have a, when when you have a system that's so regulated and they say, okay, we have so, um, in certain areas, they'll say, okay, we have a high rate of this, high rate of that. We got to put some regulation in place to kind of keep it at a certain level or else we will economically collapse. We won't be able to even have a government here. We'll have to redistrict all together and push some poor people out, bring some rich people in, and that's going to change the map altogether. So, when I look at, I, I'll i just use a personal experience. I, certain, certain, I, I know of someone, I don't really know them, they're not close to me, but if they had the third child, okay? People have children, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be fruitful and have children. You have the third child. You're not married. Okay, marriage isn't for everyone. Um, but you are not financially stable. And you realize that and you are receiving state aid at that point and people are helping you with the county government at least to find work and to get resources and whatever. But at a certain point, they're letting you know that this particular stipend or this particular stimulus is gonna run out. So we need to get you to the next step so that you're self-supported before that happens. They've given you all the aid in the world to get you to a certain point because that money is going to run out. Without federal government coming in and giving federal money to extend those programs, it's going to run out, okay? And then this person says, okay, now they're on the welfare. They have the public housing. And they decide that that now they're going to enter into another relationship. Just got out of one. They had another baby. Now they're going to enter a relationship. And this person is going to come live with them, okay? And this person just got out of jail. And they don't have work. They don't have this. They don't have that. But they're going to come live with them. And they're going to be another occupant of this public housing. And they decide they're not going to report it. This is just somebody, a boyfriend or whatever. They're just going to come live with them. And they have the fourth child. OK, now you have four mouths to feed and you have another person stand that you're going to have to put on that lease. And so rather than put him on a lease, you say, you know what, it's easier if he just puts down that he lives at his mom's home and that way he can draw benefits and he can stay with me and we'll have double benefits. Right. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I mean, basically, um, in regards to, you know, the current welfare system, again, the reason why, you know, they have, you know, time limits, again, that goes back to Bill Clinton and, you know, the policies that he implemented. Um, In regarding, you know, again, people can have as many children as they see fit. However, we also have to take into consideration that, you know, Planned Parenthood and, you know, information like that in places like that are not readily available in minority communities. And then also we have to take into, into consideration the factor of religion, you know, that, you know, like you said earlier, be fruitful and multiply, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, you have the Republicans out here, they care about the baby when it's in your womb, but when you push it out, they don't care anymore. And that's a problem. That's an issue. And it's, it's like a lot of this is being done by design. But, however, I mean, if she decides, you know, if that person decides to take the risk and have someone live with them and, you know, they're getting the benefits but it's only going to be two, three years and then they're going to be pushed off the road, well, basically – I mean, my question is, is that why is there a two-year limit on it? And in regards to, you know, you know the housing, whether it's Section 8 or, you know, uh, one of the housing projects there, basically, you know, the way that I see that is, you know, the, the people that they push off of Section 8 and the people that they push off of welfare and, you know, all of these other programs, see, the state receives the same amount of money from the federal government. They receive, you know, a certain amount, and they get increases over the years, but the more people that they push off of the system, and basically that money, they're still receiving that same amount of money, but now they can take those funds that they're not spending on these individuals over here, and, you know, they can spend that money on their pet projects, you know. But, again, you know, it's a lot of respectability politics, you know, in that particular situation i mean it's like this you know we're talking about we're trying to be liberated and be free and you know if doris has you know 14 kids over there if doris isn't free the rest of us aren't free either. you
0: know and so well, I, see, I mean you're right right you're right you're right but but see well i'm not gonna argue with that but because i feel bad for doris but and I feel like a bad guy for being for thinking some of the things that I think because I'm like, man, you know, if I was in that position, I wouldn't want people to be it to me. But, and I'm not trying to speak solely from where I'm at here, but mm-hmm. the abilities that we have here, at least in most of our cities in this county, is we have more choice than some of the other areas. And the reason why is because we keep the average income level up over a certain level. Now, when when Doris or or Charlene or so-and-so decides to have that fifth baby and they want an extension on that stuff, the state does request the funds, but the county gets to regulate and disseminate those funds here. So they get to also request and say, look, we need this we that. But if our average income is up past a certain amount, then it's not seeing as we need as much of an increase here. So we have other programs and we help to try to convert them over to these other programs to get you working because we have employment programs. We have these things. We want you working so that way we all in this area have choice because our school systems, our dream academies, all those things we have to give our kids these tools to get them to come back and work here. Our middle state programs that we put in our high schools to give them an associate's degree before they even graduate, that's what we want to keep and we can't do that. We cannot do that if everybody is sucking off their aid, because what happens is it's not the aid. I'm not mad at them taking a handout because you need it, because that's what the tax money is for. But some people want to live on it. They've grown up and they see the landscape and they say, there's nothing out there for black people. Why should I even? And they want to live on it. And I want choice. I want the ability to be able to choose what I put in my school, to some degree at least. I want to be able to, if I'm going to be a revolutionary here, I want to at least be able to know what it feels like to have some freedom and know what I'm fighting for.
1: Well, I mean, you know, as you stated before, you know, it's one of the wealthiest, you know, counties there. So that affords you, you know, some extra privileges that people in other counties, which may be the poorest county in the United States, you know. And, you know, it goes back to a lot of the things that I rail against when I talk about the church. You know, many of these churches are in poor, you know, neighborhoods, economically and educationally disadvantaged neighborhoods, and they pay no taxes. And many of those churches, if you go and you look at their portfolios, they own all kind of real estate. You know, some of them are slum lords, if you will. I feel that they need to be taxed. Not only do they need to be taxed, they need to pay their utilities because um, here in Chicago, you know, the mayor was trying to get the churches to start paying their own water bill, and he got pushed back for that. So, you know, you know my thing is, is that, you know, I'm not for the abolishment of the church in and of itself, you know, but, I, you know, um, just some of these things need to change because some of the things I'm seeing now is capitalism on steroids called the prosperity gospel. But, I mean, going back to what you said, because I veered all the way off, basically, I mean, the thing is is that, you know, let's just say, you know, Doris, you know, took up, you know, the opportunity. They trained Doris, you know, how to, let's say, drive a forklift, you know, and then they helped her find a job at, you know, some type of manufacturing plant. And so it's making, you know, however many dollars per hour for her, you know, for the forklift. Well, what does she do? Because there are times when the kids get sick and can't go to school or if they are at school and they're calling you there and you know what the money that she's making. Let's say she was making seven fifty an hour. Okay, she's making seven fifty an hour. With the minimum wage in this country, there is nowhere in this country that you can afford a two bedroom apartment on seven fifty an hour. So you need to pay them a living wage. And, you know, and it's a number of other things, but, yes, we do need social safety nets. That's important. That's what, you know, a lot of other countries have the social safety nets, and they don't have the same problems that we have. So that's where it goes back to where I say we need to deconstruct and look at the entire system because, again, we were never meant to survive in this country, you know, and so we just have to take a look at all of these different things because, We can't be, you know, have that type of elitist attitude of, well, I got mine. Now you have to get yours. And I'll tell anyone, you know, Doris and, you know, John that lives up the block, it's to my benefit to make sure that they eat. It's to my benefit to make sure that, you know, they have the things that they need because we live in the same community. I'd rather give it to them than have them come take it. You know, and we need a lot of different programs out there. And, you know, unfortunately, like I said, you know, going back to Bill Clinton with his um, NAFTA, when he signed off on NAFTA, that's where a lot of the manufacturing jobs left the United States and went to South America and, you know, Mexico and a number of other places. He signed that contract with America. He reduced, you know, the welfare and all of that. And some of the policies that he implemented were cruel. And it's having, you know, the long-term effects of that is, you know, is is manifesting itself in communities of color, namely black communities. So I believe that we should have a social safety net. Like I said, I believe that I am my brother's and my sister's keeper. And, you know, again, there are ways to have that social safety net and still be able to have high-quality schools have, you know, your roads not have a bunch of potholes in it, there are ways that that can be done. But the thing is, is that it will take, you know, some of the pie away from the rich white people who are benefiting from it. So to them, it's easier to let Doris have four or five children, especially if they know at least three of those children are going to probably end up, you know, in in the penal institution. So they're still making money off of those children regardless. You know, and the state makes money from that as well. So, I mean, you know, the whole system is corrupt, and that's why I say we need to deconstruct. it.
0: Now, what what do you think about um, guys like Jesse Russell and and and, and 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 I bring this up on every broadcast all the time because I wonder what people think. What do people think about guys like Jesse Russell and Roy Clay Jr. and all these guys who they? Worked really hard and they made a fortune in advancing a lot of the tech. You know Jesse Russell, you're familiar with him. I think he's I think he's from out here, if I'm not mistaken. But he was the guy that created one of the first cellular digital cellular base stations. So basically, at the time when you had cell phones in cars. You didn't have the ability to walk around with them yet because you relied on a particular type of radio uh, technology, mostly analog. And mm-hmm. you just didn't have the ability to power a small device. You had to have a big device that took a lot of power, and you had to use the antenna that was in your car. He was the guy that said, Okay, I can work around that problem, I can put antennas on other towers radio towers and have it patch into the phone lines and so that way you can make a smaller phone and you can walk around and have it on your hip he was the guy that holds the patent on that and he's black right. and roy clay was the guy that built hp's um computer uh department and they weren't they were doing small electronics at that time uh, appliances and stuff and he built the whole division so then you got a mm-hmm. lot of these guys that's still they're still alive they still have companies and they're making money. And you have other guys who've done that. They work really hard to get that. And they do contribute to the community. Um, and they do give to certain things to get people into these particular areas where they could advance. And people say, no, we don't want it. We don't see where we'll make any money because we'll just be working for the white man. We don't want it. And they denounce these guys. But they're going to have a movie called um, Straight of Compton come out. You know, uh, uh, I don't know when. Was it this summer? but nobody's crying about a movie for these guys that we cry we want to have be represented we want to show that our people have done more in this country than just be slaves or walk across bridges and get beat and they have they've done tons more to the point where even a lot of white people will admit yeah they took roy clay jr and put him in the hall of fame in california for what he did but our people you know what do you say about those guys who worked hard
1: right but no i mean we all work hard and the thing is, is that they had, you know, an expertise. I mean, if you if you look into history, you know, even with some of the chips in the cell phone and some of the chips in the computer and a lot of the technology, your icebox, you know, those were invented by black people. But because we are in such dire straits, they, they wrote off their patents. They, they sold them. Because, you know, they still had to eat. And, unfortunately, you have companies like GE, IBM, HP, you know, making billions and billions of dollars off of that. But, again, you know, you're talking about these people who are not widely known in the, com- in the community. You know, they, people have not been educated. I mean, even with network solutions. Network solutions was started by, you know, um, three black men and a white man. And then they sold it, and you know for several hundred millions of dollars, and then the company that bought it sold it for two billion dollars, you know, a few years later. you know and I mean, just think about this. <clears throat> excuse me, all the revenue that can be generated from, you know, those particular businesses. And, yes, yeah, I'm sure they have, you know, um, programs in which they go back into the community and they train some of the young people, you know, have summer programs, you know, in robotics, because I know one of them, they had a robotics program. And, Some of them are affiliated with the National Society of Black Engineers, and, you know, a lot of people don't know about these summer programs. Whenever I find anything, I always post it so that people can see. But, again, you know, you're expecting people to know, you know, about who those people are in history. And, I mean, you know, I work in tech, and I used to work for HP. I was one of their principal infrastructure engineers. And, you know, some of the people that you're talking the only reason why I know about it is because I worked in the field. You know, so, I mean, you're being unfair. You know, when you say, you know, they're not, you know, making a movie for these people. But in regards to, you know, the NWA movie that's coming out this summer, so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to go out and see that, and, and that's fine. You know, that's their money to spend. And, you know, they made a movie about, you know, um, um, ah, Steve Jobs. And, you know, they also did a movie about Bill Gates. And all. Of the, see, these are the faces that we see. And again, it goes back to the media and mass communication and what's put out there, what's available. We've got to also remember that these are not things that are being, you know, taught in school. So, you know, a lot of these young people don't know. You know, a lot of these young people, you know, they don't have access to that. I mean, you know, if you were to bring that up to a lot of technical, um, you know, a lot of technical experts or you know, um, tech period, they don't know who half those people are, and that's the truth. And so that goes back to educating people. I mean, most white people don't even know who these folks are. Most white people don't realize that the stoplights were invented by Gary Mor ah, Morgan, Garrett Morgan. And, you know, he invented the um, gas mask, too. But, again, he had to sell off his patents to feed himself. So when you have a system that has you, you know, continuously disadvantaged, you know, you do what you have to do to feed yourself and your family. But, you know, again, you know, you have to stop with the elitism because, you know, you can't look down on these people because they don't know something. They just don't know. They don't know, and they don't have the same opportunities. They don't, because with, you know, privilege, in particular white privilege, you know, they have a lot of advantages, you know, with that. You know, there are a lot of white guys that only have a high school diploma that have, you know, four or five felonies, and, you know, they make them operations manager over an entire warehouse, whereas you can have a black guy that has a master's degree and never been to jail. And you know they want to. They don't even want to hire him. If they do hire him, they want to put him on the line. So I mean, you know, we just have to start looking at these things a lot differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean. I don't mean to come off as elitist i just it, it gets me worked up because i don't like the story being told a certain way for me the crown jewels of our heritage is not just in the elders but it's 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 everything that was done all the way up to this point it's not just the misfortunes it's the achievements. And I wanna protect the achievements because we build off those every day. We still got black people doing great things right now in 2015, 2016, we're about to go into. And I don't want people to forget those things because revolution is great, but part of that is evolution. We got people evolving every day. I, I, sometimes I feel like we get to point, I think it's because of all the frustration and all the things we're going through where we'll pull away from that. And we'll say, you know what, what good is that? And I'll say, hold on, don't do that. Don't throw away who you are. Because you're not just some guy that's on the block waiting to get arrested in a system that's unfair. You're more than that. It's unfortunate what we're going through, but don't throw away who you are and what you're meant to do.
1: And I agree, you know, because there are times when we will throw people away. And, you know, that's why, you know, especially with some of these young folks, you know, we have to show them some love. And, you know, let them know that, you know, they aren't throwaway kids that there are people out there that care about them. And, you know, many of us want to implement, you know, some of these programs that, you know, we we have in our heads that we want to develop. But, again, when you go and you start applying for, you know, the different grants, you know, the majority of the times, you know, the lion's share of the money goes, you know, and some of the money is specifically for them to go into black and brown communities. And guess what? For the most part, it doesn't happen. And with some of these smaller, you know, nonprofit organizations that claim that, you know, they're going to go into the black and brown communities and do A, B, C, D, and E, you have people out there that use these nonprofits as their own piggy bank because someone just got in trouble um, not too long ago in D.C. She was one of those reality show people. And she had a nonprofit and she won grant money. For a tutoring program, I guess it was supposed to be in five different counties. Well, she didn't tutor nothing. That went into the bank and her personal account, and now she's, you know, she's been indicted. And, you know, you hear those stories all over the country. And, I mean, even with, you know, here in Chicago, you know, there are some organizations that have gotten monies for HIV and AIDS outreach and education specifically for black and brown communities. I have yet to see them. I I don't see anything. So where is the money? Follow the money. I feel that all 501c3s, all nonprofits should be taxed at the commercial rate, whether it's secular or religion, does not matter. All the nonprofits need to be taxed at a commercial rate, and they also should be audited, line-item audits and be held accountable. So let's just say here in Chicago, you know, we have different districts. So let's say District 37, right? And, you know, you have, you know, 50, you know, churches or nonprofits registered in that particular district. Well, out of those 50 nonprofits, if you have 20 of them saying that they're doing HIV AIDS, you know, outreach, then basically you need to make them work together. And account for all the money and what they're doing in the communities. So I mean, again, um, you know, you have like some of these churches. You know, President Obama was supposed to get rid of the faith-based initiatives, but you know, the pastor set them down and said, "Oh no." And so, you know, basically, you know, they're. I mean, th- this country is not broke. It has plenty of money, and it spends its money on what it wants to spend it on. You know, and it doesn't make sense that, you know, like in Chicago, you have some of these high schools who, you know, you know, there's no water in the pool. They've turned the pool into a storage space. You go into the basement of some of those schools, and they have brand-new computers sitting in boxes from five years ago that were never installed. So now five years later, you know, they're not new anymore. They're new because they're still in a box unopened. But, you know, with the technology, it's a dinosaur now. So, I mean, who are you hold accountable for that? so I mean, it's a number a number of different issues that um you know that needs to be talked about, and people need to be held to account.
2: Oh, yeah,
0: I mean, there's big procurement issues when you have an organization do that and they and a lot of organizations do that they have sometimes they'll have trailers outside and they'll have computers that they never um had set up at all on any network on you know in the school on campus or in the in the office areas of whatever business or educational institution and you say well why did you get it if you weren't going to use it and those big companies i mean they push you to get this product they want you to take the service that goes along with it and i mean maybe you decide that you don't want to go with that new network solution. You want to go stick with this one. You know, you want to, you know, what well, what happens with the deal you got on these computers? You went somewhere and got all these computers for a deal. You know, do you keep them on the books and keep the profit there? Or do you sell them and, and do whatever? I, and they just hold on to stuff and it goes to waste. Um, and I agree. I see yep. I've seen lots of them go to waste.
1: Oh, yeah, no, that's why I say follow the money because, you know, apparently somebody created a bid and, you know, the the school district went with that particular bid, and so there was a contract. You know, is that the superintendent's brother-in-law? I mean, and so, I mean, you have to look at all of that. You have to follow the money. And, again, you know, it's it, the political, you know, aspect of it, you know, and it's just there is a lot of skullduggery that's happening, and, you know, again, in many of our communities, we don't know what to look for. We don't have the language to make certain charges, Um, and like I said, a lot of people have just given up, and, you know, it's unfortunate, but it happens, but, you know, again, I feel that for those of us that have the knowledge and the information, I feel that it's imperative, you know, and incumbent upon us to share it and to encourage people and to tell them things that they, you know, otherwise would have no knowledge of, you know, because, I mean, you know, when a baby is, you know, learning how to walk, that baby doesn't realize that 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 stove is hot. You have to tell that baby not to touch that because, you know, the baby is going to get burned. Otherwise, it's going to go over there and grab the pot and, you know, whatever it is is going to scald the baby's body. You know, you you just can't automatically assume that that baby doesn't know to go and pull that off the stove because they're doing what babies do. They're curious, and they're trying to learn. But, I mean, again, we just have to, um, you know, we, we, we have to do better across the board, across the board, but we can't look down. Like I said, you can't look down on Doris and her four or 14 children can't do it, you know, because we don't know what her situation is. But, you know, I mean, we have to go back and revamp the system. So, like I said, you know, those are some of the questions I would ask Hillary Clinton. Are you going to fix what your husband broke? That's an important question.
0: I mean, oh, yeah. I mean you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel. <laughs> I feel bad. I, I'll bite the bullet of that one. I mean, I feel bad for Doris. You know, I mm-hmm. just. Well, yeah. I if I give her every opportunity. I mean, I swear, if I give her, and, and I understand, if if I if I provide her every solution, every opportunity, and that fifth baby comes, I'm like, okay, it's a baby, it's a blessing in the world. So I'm glad you had this blessing, but, you know, this is the third or fourth guy and he's not staying out either. So, I mean, at some point, my wallet's hurting. Something's got to give. I mean, we'll give you more.
1: Because, you know, out of your paycheck, less than a dollar, maybe a dollar, you know, goes towards welfare. That's it. You know, it's, it's, it's a minimal amount of money. But the thing is, is that let's say, you know, you got Doris a job. So, you know, you're going to go back to her, using you know, knowing how to, you know, use the forklift and she got a job. Okay, so now, you know, Doris lives in, let's say she lives in D.C., but that job is out in Columbia, Maryland. So now she has to figure out how to get there because does Doris have a car? No, Doris has to catch the Metro train, you know, so he can give her the card and what have you, but then, okay, she's, you know, catching the train and the bus, you know, to get to work, but then, you know, there's not enough money, you know, for food. So, you know, she's getting there, you know, she's not eating, you know, she's making sure that the kids eat, but then, you know, again, only seven fifty an hour, and she started out at 40 hours a week, but, you know, the company is restructuring, so now, they're having it so that, you know, people are only coming in for 30 or 31 hours so that they can now categorize them as part-time workers. And then also that particular company has filed the paperwork because Dora Doris is, you know, um, you know, a low-income person, so her salary is being supplemented by, you know, the government. And so once the government, that program has phased out and they stopped getting money for Doris, then they lay Doris off because all they wanted was that extra money. But the so, I mean, there are a lot of things that you have to look at. And, you know, even if she is on her fifth baby, I mean, the thing is is that kids get sick. You know, people get sick. Let's say Doris, you know, she had her fifth baby, but she's still trying to work, still trying to keep things together. But let's say Doris, you know, acquires some type of chronic illness. So let's say, you know, Doris has cancer, okay? So by her being now categorized as a part-time employee, she's no longer receiving medical benefits over here. She can't get a green card or a medical card from public aid, and basically she has no health care because she can't even afford, the you know, the Obamacare, so now, basically, she's going to the free clinic to try to get some help, but they're only going to help so much. So they're telling Doris, Doris look, we want to help you, but it costs money to do A, B, and C, and we can't give you this medicine or have this surgery until you come up with some money. So basically, they're telling Doris to go home and die. So Doris is at home depressed. Well, Doris has another baby, because what else are you going to do? You know, because by that time the job has fired you, because they can't get any more supplemented income from you. So, you know, what is what else is there to do?
0: Well, well, yeah. I mean, she, yes, yeah, a terrible situation. Um, I, at some point, because I, I feel bad about the child support system because in a way, you know, that does help, but again, they just want to tackle it needs to happen, but at the same time, I see how it's running. I'm like, oh, okay, because they have escrow companies. The courts have escrow companies to handle the payout, payouts, because she has a debit card. Every time she withdraws, the fees for that service come out, and sometimes if, if, if you had the baby in one state, and then you try to move to another, depending on the situation where the father lives, they may fight over who gets that child support account. So I understand the the treasury of child support, but I also understand that I kind of sort of need the fathers of your children to pay up a little, you know, just because I understand everybody's putting in the kitty to take care of everybody. So we want Doris to eat. We want her to have a, we'll take care of the, the, we'll try to put in for child care. We'll take care of the housing. We'll take, we just want you to get to a good place. But But some of these guys, yeah.
1: Yeah, but let's just say, you know, the father of the kids, you know, he's from this, you know, the same area, you know, that's called propinquity. So people tend to date people that live in the same area and possibly the same circumstances. You know, let's say, you know, John. John can't find a job. John has been trying to find a job. He can't find a job. So he started, you know, you know, street sales. He got caught up. He went to the system. He came out. Now he's a little bit older, but he still has these babies, and he still can't find a job. And he's in a worse situation now because now he has that conviction, and so that, you know, that that decreases his, you know, his um, opportunities there. And so, you know, again, if he can't even apply for, you know, a Pell grant or anything to go for school, to go back to school, what the hell is there to do besides open a church and call yourself a pastor? You know, because, you know, in a lot of cases, that's what it's become. It's become a career because with many of them, they're not able to get, you know, um, gainful employment, so they become a pastor or, you know, uh, any other, you know, number of things that, you know, can happen in that particular situation. But, I mean, the thing is, at this point, you know, I mean, we need social safety nets. And regardless as to how many children, you know, a woman has, I mean, you know, we got to make sure we put the other things in place. You know, maybe she wants to work, you know, full time. and She wants to, you know, be gainfully employed, you know, but let's say she wants to be a librarian. You know, I feel that, you know, I feel that public education in this country should be free, too, and she should be afforded the ability to go and get that education so that she can pursue whatever career, you know, interests her. But in the meantime, I feel that, you know, we should have a social safety net for, you know, those children to go to daycare as well as kindergarten and in school. Personally, I feel that the school system should provide all three meals for the kids give them a bag, you know. Yeah, But, but what I'm saying is, you know, it's a lot of different ways that this situation can come about. You know, I mean, and check it out, Doris, you know, may have been sexually assaulted. So she doesn't know who or what or how, you know. All she knows is that she was on her way home from work walking, you know, down the block, and, you know, someone assaulted her. Then what? You know, I mean, there are no Planned Parenthoods around. She doesn't have the money to get an abortion or anything. So what is she supposed to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we should have social safeness. But I guess the question I'm asking is, is, is there ever, do you think there's ever a limit there should ever be? And what I mean by that is, I mean, let's push it to the extreme. Let's say Doris just says, I don't want to work. I don't have to and Uh she doesn't do anything at all and so everybody around her is busting their butt to provide and they're like well okay well she's doing what she wants to do with her life which is do nothing okay you know she's happy if she's happy that's fine but now you have a bunch of people who look at it and say well doris doesn't have to do anything why should we why should we even work with this system let's just sit back and not.' and so you then you get a significant part of your says, "Oh." I'm stupid for us to go to work. Let's just sit back and not do anything at all because the system owes us. You know, well, why why should we do anything? And at that point, you know, why do we have achievements? What's the point?
1: The thing is, is that, you know, let's just say if there were some people who thought that way, it's a very minute percentage of people. But again, you know, Doris, let's say, you know, she has cancer and so she's in chemo we're hoping that it goes into remission you know you got that issue there but let's say you know doris has you know other genetic issues that have been passed down and she just can't work there are some people who can't work for a number of different reasons so you know the system is there again you know social safety net because What's the purpose of making her go to work when she's going to get fired in two or three days because, you know, she's falling asleep at work or she's getting sick at work and having a number of different issues there, which could possibly aggravate, you know, whatever illness that she may have. There are some people who simply cannot work. And, you know, until we go into the situation and evaluate what's happening, I mean, you know, it's, you know, you can't pass judgment on that, but yeah, but not I me mean, in the United States. You know, the social safety nets that we have, they suck, you know, and they should be expanded, and that's why I say, um, basically, um, you know, Hillary needs to fix what Bill broke. You know, what, what to, do you mean by you know, expanded? Oh no, expand the um, social safety net. Because, you know, single people with no children are just screwed in this country. Screwed. If you are single with no
2: children.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, just, you know, there are some expansions and things like that. But also, in addition to that, you know, I feel that, you know, there are some people who get married because of the incentives, the tax write-offs and all of that, and it's unfair to single people. So, you know, that needs to be addressed as well. So, I mean, that's what I mean by expanding the social safety net because, you know, I've had, you know, people that I know that were single with no children and they got laid off from work. And, you know, that's usually the time you get really sick when you have no insurance and no job. And basically they were told to go home and die. And that's not right, especially when they tax single people with no children the highest all the money that they're putting into the system they're not receiving any of it back. That's an issue.
0: Yeah, that is a big problem. That that is that. I think that was the biggest problem right there. I mean, it's not the biggest problem, but I agree with you 100% on that one.
1: Oh yeah, but no, I mean, but no, we need to expand it. Like I said, I feel that education in this country should be free. I feel that you know access to places like, you know, planned parenthood you know, having the insurance, I mean, we just saw this with the Affordable Care Act how some companies didn't want to provide um birth control for their employees because it's against their religion, you know, and I mean, studies have shown because I mean you know again, black women, particularly black girls, are always thrown under the bus when they're saying, when people say that you know um the high rates of you know single mother pregnancies, if you will, basically. But that number has come down. You know, when they made birth control available and readily available to these young people, those rates have come down. And unfortunately, you know, the way that I see some of this is that some of these young women, you know, and sometimes the young man, you know, but mainly the young women when they get pregnant, I feel that in many cases the parents are making them have those children as a, as a um, punishment as a punishment for having sex. And, you know, a lot of that happens in this country. That goes along with the patriarchy and along the lines of some of what we've been talking about. You know, I mean, they're being punished for having sex. And that's basically what it boils down
0: to. Yeah, I think I feel that way. Um, Even in um, where I was growing up, But Before I moved here, I I grew up in an agricultural town, so a lot of years passed. I went to a lot of places all over this country, but I came back here. But I originally grew up in an agricultural town, and, and they, if you, originally, if you, everything was behind the times, but if you were a single mother, if you had a child, don't expect any help. I mean, the family, the immediate family would help you because obviously you're their child and they want you to be okay, but you would just go away for the summer and then come back and you would just have their baby. That's all anybody else would know is you went away and you came back and you had the baby. And because of society, it was so hard for you. People looked at you and they were like, oh, so, you know, and I know now we have these what's called... um, quote-unquote illegal interview questions, <laughs> not technically illegal, but back then it was like, no, you know, oh, you married? And you said no, it was like, you're a young woman not married, people are not going to hire you because, you know, they' said other. But one thing, I'm not saying it should be that way, one, but one good thing that even came out of that, even though the, I think that was terrible to treat people that way, is that a lot of girls back then, before the 90s kicked off and they started this movement about, you know you don't need the man you can do it yourself and they had these commercials before that even kicked off before 91 when child support became a national thing before all of that if you didn't check the character of the person that you were with you knew you could end up in a bad being a bad situation and you just didn't want that so you took more stake to some degree not saying it didn't happen of course it happened back in the 70s 60s so you always had single mothers but it just seemed like people took more stake in not wanting to get into a serious family building situation until they could actually get old enough to sign a paper and actually work. So now if they're going to pick a guy, it's like, yeah, he's got to at least have a job and be able to help you, you know, but now it seems like there's nothing.
1: I mean, but the problem with, you know, pretty much this whole conversation is you're blaming the woman for everything. You're blaming the woman for everything. She didn't make that baby by herself. She did And regardless if the guy was a stand-up guy or, you know, he was just, you know, one of those guys that kind of got around. It doesn't, I mean, at that point, it really doesn't matter because, I mean, there are some guys that are upstanding or people, you know, again, that plays into that respectability politics. You know, the guy may be a professional, let's just say it's the pastor that impregnated her. You know, know, in many cases, some of them still ignore the child and won't pay, you know, child support or what have you, you know, but see, they hold the woman more accountable than the man. And, you know, with the whole argument with all of this is like, you know, they've been badgering and beating on the woman. And, you know, again, you know, black women, you know, we're vulnerable. We don't have anybody standing up for us. We don't have anybody protecting us. And just even with this line of conversation tonight, you know, beating up on the black woman.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't Well... I didn't know it was coming off that way, but it's, you're not the first person to tell me that um, because it's becoming a pattern. And I'm like, I didn't know that it sounded like that, but I guess it is sounds like that. I, I guess my theory is, is that cause I really do mean the man too. I just, I guess I don't throw that in there or cause I think that the man should have to pay. I really do. I mean, I think you should have to pay. That's your child. I think you should have to pay and if you made the child, and you're not there, you know. It, it, it's your responsibility. You should have to pay. I just really strongly feel that he should have to pay.
1: And again, <laughs> again, you know, if it's, you know, it's like this. We already know that the playing field is not fair. And so, you know, like I said earlier, you know, it can be a white guy with a GED or a high school diploma you know, four felonies and, you know, currently on probation or what have you, they'll hire him and they'll make him the operations manager, you know, six figures a year, you know, bonus, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, a black man that went to college, went you know, got his advanced education, got a master's degree, never been incarcerated or even, you know, never even got a speeding ticket and they won't hire him. The system is not built for us to necessarily prosper, and the few people that have prospered, you know, like you know the people you were talking about earlier, you know, that's the exception. It's not the rule. When that when that becomes the rule, then things will change. But the way that the system is set up now, no, uh uh-uh. uh, you know. You know, they don't want us to have those type of opportunities. But in addition to that, like I said, you know, there have been, you know, places, like I said, Tulsa, Rosewood, Wilmington, a number of other places in which we prospered. And then you had, you know, white mobs come out, poor white mobs, because they were jealous of the prosperity and the wealth that had been acquired as well as the power structure that was acquired by, you know, black people. And they started killing them and chasing them out of town. What they would do is get the land deeds, and they would steal the land and destroy the deeds so that, you know, they can never come back and, you know, lay claim to that property. And, I mean, even when... um, Chris Everett was on my show a couple of years ago, and he made a movie called Wilmington on Fire. He said even now when, you know, they go through certain county records, if they see that, a you know, a deed was issued to a black person and a white person is now on the land, you know, some kind of way those usually disappear even now. So, I mean, you know, it's a lot more to this, you know, to, to this particular equation, but, you know, we have to be careful because, you know, you know, I posted an article yesterday, and, you know, it was basically talking about, you know, people seeing, you know, black women as mammies, and, you know, you know all the stereotypes, mammy, Jezebel, Sapphire, so on and so forth. Um, we have to get out of that, you know, beating up on a black woman. We get it all day, every day. We get it from white women. We get it from white men. And we get it hardest from black men. You know, and so this is why you have a number of us, you know, stepping back. And this is why, you know, a lot of the black men are getting some pushback on them trying to co-opt, you know, this particular movement. Because it's just at the point Whereas, you know, it's, it's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You know, and we have no wealth for the most part. And, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, this is not anything new. But, you know, we, we just have to do better. We have to do better because you can't walk around just beating up on a black woman. Like I said, she didn't make those babies by herself, you know, when she was in school. You know, and, and this is, you know, honest to goodness truth, and you know this. And you know many of us live in predominantly black areas, you know, in towns. And the educational system usually sucks. You get the worst teachers. You know, in some cases, there aren't enough books for everybody in the class, so you share the books. Sometimes the books are 20 years old, and they don't send the kids home with homework because there's not enough books for them to take home. But yet, you know, the superintendent is, you know, riding around in a Maybach. So, I mean, you know, again, we're going to have to get, you know, really deep into the situation, into the problem, and deconstruct it, tear it down, and rebuild it. And at this point, that's never going to happen in America.
0: Yeah. I mean, I i, I value, um, I value the black woman. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it, of because things were a little different. I'm not even that old, really, you know, but the place that I grew up, it was very old-fashioned. But when I was a kid, if you, if you wanted to talk to somebody's daughter, you know, in the black community, you couldn't mm-hmm. just hang out. With, you couldn't just hang out with her. I remember, I we we me and these two other guys, we wanted to talk to this one girl, and we went over to the house, and you couldn't come into the yard unless you talked to her father. You know, he had to know who you were. You won't as far as you might get was the steps, and you might get a glass of water and he says okay boys you want to talk to her he said well y'all help me with this work over at the garage first and then we'll do some things over here in this field and then you know at the end of it then you can talk to her and so we were working 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 work and it looked like the sun was about to go down we were getting tired people was dropping out and finally at the end i'm like the last guy working and and, and he's like well we gotta do two or three more things before we go back to the house and by that point i didn't even know if i wanted to talk to her anymore but by the time we got back to the house he was like you know what it's past the time i said you had but you know what you can come in and have dinner and then you can talk to us for about 30 minutes and that was the right. decide. i'm not saying right. it's realistic but it was like how much do you want to talk to her and you know it was like at that point i'm thinking to myself if i gotta do this every day just to talk to her for 20 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> i would <must laughs> really like her <laughs> I right. might only talked for fifteen minutes, and she said, "Dad, hey, you, you can I go out there and take him something to drink?" No, he'd be all right. Dad, yeah, can I go? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I mean, you know, things were a little bit different then than they are now, you know. But I mean, hey, you know, it's like you know we have to be careful because sometimes we we romanticize the past, you know. But I understand that that was, you know, but you know what? She was, her dad was making sure that, you know, she, that the guys that were interested in her, that they would be, you know, hard workers or basically at his standards, you know, up to the standards that he set, you know. But, I mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, whoever she ended up dating or marrying, it doesn't mean that they kept those same standards. You know, they probably did it long enough to be able to get to her and ask for her hand in marriage. Who knows? You know, you never know. They may have married into the family, and the dad took them on, and you know, and you know he worked for the dad. Who knows? You know, but yeah, no. Times are much different now than they were back in the day. But I mean, again, that goes back to what you were saying about evolution. You know, we're evolving, and you know things have changed. And you know, it's just a matter of perception if it's better or worse. Now, you and I probably think that things are worse, but. There are some people out there that think things are better. So, again, it's a matter of perception. Then also having knowledge of what really has transpired in this country, you know, over the past 10, 20, 30 years, really.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I still have that, that say, mentality, even with the, the, the young girls. I don't have any children, but the young girls that live in this area, I don't know them fully, but I know some of their parents. And if I don't like the young man that that's trying to talk to her, I do little, I know it's cheap, but I do little things and run him away. Why are you run him away? No, no, no. I said, because he wasn't no good. Because <laughs> he wasn't no good.
1: Oh, that's funny. But that goes back to, you know, again, about, you know, the, the village raising a child. You know what I mean? And, you know, you know what you're saying, I said. And, you know, it's the funniest thing ever. But, I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure that, you know, depending on the situation, they probably appreciate that. Especially if they found out, you know, that he, he's you know, he has you know, how can I put it? You know, less than honorable intentions. You know. So I mean it's just kinda I don't know, dude. It's just it's a
0: trip. Uh, yeah you- um it is. It is. I mean, I think, um, didn't some of the women do that too? You know, they, they, they run. I know they used to do that.
1: Oh yeah. No, you know, chase people away in a heartbeat, you know? So uh, yeah, it happens. It definitely happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all good, but look, my dear, I'm getting ready to shut it down because I need to get some dinner in me so that I won't get sick. But, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. You know, we do a show every Sunday. And so we tried to do it yesterday, and then we experienced some technical difficulties. So that's why we, you know, ran it again today. But, you know, next Sunday, I haven't decided what the title is going to be, but it's probably the inmates are running the asylum. So, you know, we're going to talk about a number of things, you know, that are happening, you know, around the country, whereas it's like, You know, and one example of the inmates are running the asylum is when we were talking earlier, you know, how you have police investigating themselves. Of course, they're going to find no fault. So, I mean, you know, these are just different things that we definitely have to address and things that we've allowed to run amok and that need to be addressed.
0: Oh, yeah, that would be a good topic.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, you enjoy the rest of your week. Today is Monday, so tomorrow is two dollar chicken. So, hey, so, you know you have a great <laughs> rest of the week, <laughs> and it was good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. You know, and um, we'll we'll do this again. You know, um, I'm on Facebook, so just look for Kimberlyville on Facebook, and I think it's Facebook.com/slash blackfreethinkers.com. That's, that's my um, Facebook account. Okay? Okay. All right, my dear. You have a good one now. You take care. Everybody, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to the archives. We appreciate you guys. Next Sunday, the inmates are running the asylum. All right. Take care, everybody. Good night.